Celinski. Il tocco per Zamogissà, si gira e al terzo tentativo non sbaglia. Napoli in vantaggio, la sbloccata Frank Zambo Anghissa. Forward by Koulibaly, Kandrevis there! Sensational! He is a brilliant footballer. And this season, he just keeps reminding us of that fact. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is Season 2, Episode 39 and we're your hosts Matt and Jake. Here to bring you guys all the happenings of Match Day 36 along with a bunch of news that has just come out this week. Oh yes, what an action-packed episode we have, bro. Um, can I just make the point that I can't wait until we move away from this whole Season 2 episode, by the way. I can't wait to go back to just chunks, you know. We're on currently Episode 78. Doesn't that sound way better? It does sound nicer, huh? I think, I think nicer. after the season we should go back to the solid number. Yeah, and I hate the point colon. Yeah. You know what I mean? 2.38 colon. It's like, what the hell? Are we trying to do? Is that, it yeah. looks like an algebra fucking yeah. formula. But yeah, in theory, this is episode 79, bro. Wow. Yeah, 79, really? huh? Yeah, um, it's been fun. Um, I don't know why I'm acting like one of us is leaving. <laughs> 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 let's let's jump into this week's action, brother. Yeah, our goal of the week. Well, we had two goals of the week, as you guys heard from the intro over there. We had Kandreva, who just the star. A bizarre goal, the way that he yeah. scored that long ball over the top by Koulibaly. He, he fucking ran to the ball inside the box, extended his leg, rose in the air, and with the outstep of his foot, guided the ball on, the, on his first touch into the top corner, leaving the keeper rooted to the spot. Yeah, he channeled his inner Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Literally, bro. it was fucking stunning. And then Anguissa, just acting like a prime Deli Ali, flicking yeah. the ball up with his left. Hitting the volley on his right with his back towards goal, smashing the ball into the back of the net. Onana got a good hand to it, but nothing he yeah. can do to keep that out. Incredible technique, bro. But um, from the celebration, everyone's probably wondering who the fuck are Patricia, Noah, and Leo. Patricia, Noah, and Leo. Yeah, he had, you know, he had the cast, the bandage on his hand. Uh-huh. He showed it to the camera, and there were those three names on it Patricia, Patricia Noah, mm, and Leo. Leo. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Have your say, guys. Let us know who you think. Patricia. Noah and Leo yeah. are um, Some honourable mentions For the goal of the week oh, as there well There are so many, where do we even begin? Zappa Costa had a screamer Stunning goal by Hoyland Zappa had Costa. a good, week, uh, good goal um, Orsolini dribbled the goalkeeper Managed to get a good There one. was um, Di Lorenzo Di As well, stunning goal, goal, goal against Inter So many were really blessed this yeah. week so every yeah. goal was was incredible almost. Yeah. Um some things happened this week, bro. So first of all, we have three Italian teams in finals yes. um this season. So an, an incredible season for for Italian football. Of course, there's Inter against Manchester City in the Champions League final. There's Roma against Sevilla in the Europa League final. That's Mourinho's sixth final. Um he's never lost one. Madonna, man. Yeah, yeah. Fiorentina. Well, Sevilla have, have Sevilla, quite a record yeah. themselves in the Europa League. It's it's their competition. It it's is, their tournament. They, they won three in a row, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, at some point. Like it's fucking crazy, man. And Fiorentina, West Ham, the Conference League, that's going to be a 
crazy good game as well, I can guarantee, because um, both teams were elated because they've both had um, disappointing seasons domestically. Yeah. So this is their chance to actually win some silverware. Even though tomorrow there's the Coppa Italia final with Inter and Fiorentina. My and God, Fiorentina have some chance. They could win the double. They, they could finish win the double. Yeah, yeah there, there you go. That's Serie A for you, yeah. man. We would like to bid farewell to Cremonese, who we recently expressed our deep love for. Um, they have been relegated. They're on 24 points. Spezia on 17th are on 31, which means that there's a po- they need a point that is unattainable. Exactly. Just one point, you know. Exactly. This came yeah. after their 5-1 loss to Bologna last weekend. They, you know, they had quite a a tough time in, in Serie A and to wrap things up in, in a game that was detrimental for them. They faced one of the sides that was most in form while Spezia faced Lecce, which made yeah. it much easier for, for them. And they played out the draw. <laughs> exactly. Pretty <laughs> so, much. Yeah. Um, thank you for coming, Cremonese. I hope to see you again soon, even though I don't think they'll be in Serie A anytime soon in the near future. Serie B is becoming very competitive. But there are really many is. good teams down there. And very young, progressive managers mm. coming through the ranks True. as well. Yeah. Um, some news on Napoli. They won the league. They celebrated. But now they've decided that everyone's going to abandon ship. And Spalletti, <laughs> Spalletti is leaving, most likely. Um, he had a disagree- disagreement with De Laurentiis. Yes. Uh, many people have disagreements with De Laurentiis. I think he's a very difficult person to work with and to prove that. So is their sporting director leaving, mm. Guintoli. He's probably joining Juve as they have a verbal agreement. Who's next? Perhaps it's Oziman? Well, it's it's either Gvar or Oziman if we're talking about big players that would be on their way out. I don't see anyone else really abandoning ship, especially after a lot of debutants um, with Napoli won a league already, got to the um, quarterfinals of a Champions League as well which okay doesn't sound that grandiose when you look at the amount of Italian teams that had success in Europe but massive achievement for Napoli this nice team, little project man it is a, pro- a nice little project but uh, when it comes to personnel on the pitch because of course everyone behind yeah. the scenes is is jumping ship now the problem I see over here with Napoli is that many of their of their guys are on two or three million euros a year teams around the world will be looking at the likes of Anguissa, Lobotka, Kim, yeah. they, they can offer these guys way more. So they have to be careful. Now, of course. They can't, they can't let everyone leave. Yeah. Especially now that their sporting director is going to change. Yeah, we don't a, know who the next one is. A sporting be. director that has mm. uh, gotten them a lot of coups and a lot of yeah. good deals here and there. So no wonder Juve were interested in him. Yeah. Um, speaking of Juve, bro, they have been docked 10 points. Fuck it, we said it. Let's cut to the chase. <laughs> Juve have been docked 10 points for their capital gains case. Now, yes. bro, what do you make of this? They had the opportunity in reality to remain in yeah. the run for the Champions League qualification, um, top four positions. Yeah. But um, they took it terribly, the news. The news broke out, by the way. Italy is, is hilarious. It's a disaster. Hilarious. It's a disaster. Fucking 10 minutes before kickoff, the news comes out. Literally. Like, what well, are you joking? The they broadcast were, was <laughs> interrupted, like, to, to, yeah. to announce that, by the way, this game. Uh-huh. They're in the dressing room right now. Points. They just got the news. Literally. Like shambolic man. Yeah, they had the opportunity if they beat Empoli, that still be in that um, Champions League f- fight. Fight because yeah, they'd be two points in in the case that they had beaten exactly. Empoli, they would have been two points behind Milan and, and had a direct encounter with them. Um, this this, this match day exactly. 
So yeah, um, it couldn't have come at a worse time for Juve. And do you feel there's a bit of a witch hunt against them right now? Um, may, maybe a witch hunt is a bit of a, a strong term because in, in, in all honesty, if you look at the facts, um, there, there was dodgy behavior by Juve for, for many years, which is why this is considered a capital gains scandal and there should be an investigation mm-hmm. on it by all means. But I think with the way it was handled when it came to handing them the punishment was just from an outside perspective, because again, I don't understand this mm. shit too much. Yeah. It just seemed extremely disorganized. How can you initially hand a 15-point penalty to someone halfway through a se- halfway through the season? That already seemed a little bit odd. But then there was the investigation and after the, sorry, the appeal. And after the appeal, they're like, okay, so let's give them back the 15 points mm. for the time being. And then three match days before the last game, sorry, three three matches before the season ends, you hand them a minus 10. It doesn't make any it, sense. It, it's weird. Mourinho um, expre- expressed his disagreement with this as well. He um, basically said that it's ridiculous that throughout the season, you don't know where you stand. Exactly. The table is constantly changing because of yeah. these off the field issues. Like, sorry, sort this out after the season ends, you know? Exactly. Just let them play it out normally and then sort it out. Exactly. This is weird. Because at the end of the day, if, if you give Juve the points back, the, the points lost against Monza and Empoli were literally due to the decisions. Yeah, 100%. So, so yeah. and, and you look at, for example, Roma. Who put their who put all their eggs in the Europa League basket in the hopes that they win mm. it in order to get Europe next year because there's Juve and Milan above them and mm. they couldn't close that yeah, yeah, they true. couldn't close that true. gap because it was out of their hands so they put all the eggs in that basket had they focused more on um, had they not um, jeopardized their true. squad too much uh, yes, to yes, yes. to focus on the Europa League they would have had more success in in, in Italy probably yeah. for a fact. Jeopardize is a crazy word. Rotate, it would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was uh, an entertaining game to watch Juve against Empoli, of course, particularly um, Vlav, which had a bit of a shocker this game. Yeah. And Empoli's Henderson mocked him mid-game and you can literally see him saying, oh, 80 million? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Straight to his face. <laughs> yeah. And in the post-match interview, Zanetti, the Empoli, the Empoli manager, said that he was worried that his players would get destroyed today because yeah. they were all they've all been celebrating their survival mm. and he was worried that they'll all be hung over yeah and little did he know they were gonna go and put four past you literally I, I thought you would, would come out all guns blazing yeah, same i thought that the, news that but gassed but i understand it a bit more now that i've sat with it and, and thought about it a bit longer why would they have a fire in their stomach if, if it were me as as a player at juventus fuck if, if it were me vlahovic Di Maria, Chiesa, Miretti, Fagioli, all these guys at this moment, at this point in time, are thinking "fuck Juve." Yeah, definitely, because it it is the people behind the scenes that are putting them through this. Yeah. It, it's initially the fault of Juve that the players are going through what they're going through now. Why that's the hell would you want to stay stay at a club like that? Yeah, that, that's totally true, bro. Um, that's like all the ministers at the Labour Party towards the end of their reign. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, though. So, um, yes, Giroud ended his goal drought by bagging a hat-trick. Uh, that's an interesting talking point. We'll be getting more into that later on, uh, but it's good to see him back in action. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting one, bro. Um, adult subscription site My.Club have offered Inter 80 million to put themselves on their kits for the Champions League final. Do it. 
Uh, My.club Vice President Mike Ford said, Here at My.club, we're all about penetrating new verticals. <laughs> Much how interplayers squeeze their balls into tight spaces in the box and score, we're looking to... No way. <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah, I say they should do it, bro. I, I, they, they've got financial issues. They don't have a sponsor right now because the crypto market crashed and they couldn't basically pay them. It, it's like they sold Lukaku all over again. Yeah. Let's make another okay. 80 million. Yeah. Okay, your 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 team looks cheap as fuck in the in it's the only final. My dot club. It's not even obvious. That's true. It's not like you have like Brazzers or Pornhub. I know? was I was wondering the <laughs> I was wondering the opportunities because obviously it's big news at the moment. Because for for advertisers, what they're seeing mm. right now is is a team entering one of the largest stages in sports for the mm. year and 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 seeing a, a blank billboard 11 blank billboards That's so a, a company would be willing to to spend that amount of money to, to get that opportunity course, a, a one-time payment yeah why not bro it makes perfect sense for for both parties over there um just wish it were blacked bro you know the yeah <laughs> that would be a hilarious it would be so funny um we're leaving Serie A for a second um Deserbi takes Brighton to a historic European European Madonna European European <laughs> Deserbi takes Brighton to a historic European qualification yeah Amazing manager. We, of course, were obsessed with him when he was with Sassuolo. We covered um, their team in quite a lot of detail last season. Uh, mm. It's good to see that he's found success in the Premier League. And let's hope that he keeps winning. Absolutely. Uh, I've seen a lot of people say that, obviously, it's because of the work that Potter put in. I'm not saying that didn't help, but a change up in management typically sends a team spiraling. And Deserbi did a good job maintaining whatever form they had, playing to their system and getting the best out of these players. So yeah. shout out to Deserbi. Definitely, bro. That's it for my rundown. Okay. Um, our betting segment. Oh, yes. We placed a bet that Inter, Inter would win or draw against Now, but that was a bit of a selfish bet. Um, yeah. Look, we know we, we often don't win our bets. Um, <laughs> in fact, we're betting less um, and we're just doing it for the segment. But we thought might as well make top four a bit more interesting, no? Absolutely. If we bet on Inter win or draw, they'll definitely lose. Yeah, we're being a bit selfish at yeah. the moment, guys. That's it. We're, we're controlling the league. We're manipulating yeah. the league, guys. Also, we're, we're violating Article 4 right now. Exa- exactly. That's, that's it. <laughs> like, like someone, you're Paratici and I'm Agnelli. Exactly. There we go. Um, Wax your eyebrows, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so last season, we did the prediction series. Which I enjoyed a bit more mm-hmm. than the betting segment. Yes. I, um, I think the betting segment could have been handled a bit better in, in many ways by us. I think mm-hmm. maybe if we put some more thought into it, um, we could have made it a bit more entertaining. We could have made some rules and made mm-hmm. it a bit more exciting. Because at this point, it I, I feel like it might be a little bit repetitive. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think? Do you do you prefer the prediction series last year? It, it got very tight towards the end. It was exciting. Do you enjoy seeing us suffer with the betting segment? Or if you have any additional ideas, Jake and I already have a few in mind. Yeah. But if you have any ideas, any suggestions, feel free to send them our way and we'll implement them. One of our ideas is literally next season, 10 euro budget each period, yeah. nothing else. So, and, and we compete every week. Merging the prediction series and the betting exactly. segment. So who finishes the season with the highest amount of money wins. Exactly. exactly. And that's a fun one. Huh? One better week. And that, that's great. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, our Patreon, bro. Yes, so we're happy to announce that we have opened our Patreon account. We mentioned it last week and it has since been implemented. And we've already got a few patrons in who obviously we are very, very grateful for. And we hope to have some more of you coming in soon. Um, We've got Ed and Alan. Shout out to Ed and Alan, by the way. Thank Uh, you very much. patrons so far, guys. Uh, we, We love you. Thank you very much for supporting our content. Yeah, from the bottom of our heart, we put a lot of work into this and it's nice to see you you guys support. Um, on our Patreon, what we'll be doing basically to make this worthwhile for you guys is we'll be providing you guys with behind-the-scenes content. So be it during recording sessions, watching Serie in our living room, or even if we're out and about in Italy watching Serie we'll make sure to give you guys some content of that and some behind-the-scenes, like... In two weeks' time, I'm going to go watch Milan's last game of the season. Touch wood, that's the plan. Um, Milan against Verona, the San Siro. And I might just shoot a bunch of content over there and show it to the patrons. So that might be quite cool. Um, We'll be doing a Serie A Spotlight question segment as well. This will be a segment at the end of each weekly episode dedicated to our patrons. So our patrons will send us questions. We'll give them a shout out at the end of each podcast, at the end of each episode rather, um, and we'll answer their questions accordingly. So we can engage a little bit over there. And the third one, and the one that I'm most excited for... this is going to be amazing. It's going to be so cool, is FIFA content. So ever since Drake and I were like five and three years old... All we do is play FIFA against yeah, each that, that's other. That's our thing. Like when we hang out, we just play FIFA. Yeah, and, and, and we play like Palermo, Genoa. Literally, you know? we're we're always choosing these obscure Italian teams with the same stars. Now, be it in Serie B, be it in Serie A, with we're typically three and a half stars or less because yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah. fucking. In fact, like yeah. welcome to this year's edition of the Champions League final. We've got Ascoli against Palermo. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> and we and and we just want to. Show you guys some of it. Um, yeah, it we're becoming streamers. Yeah, we're literally becoming streamers. <laughs> um, it's highly competitive. Yes. You guys will choose your favorites. You let us know who you think. Ooh, and maybe you can bet on us. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, maybe we just merge everything together, you know? Yeah. Well, if you guys want to be a part of this... Um, extravaganza. Help, extravaganza. Um, help us grow our platform and in return get some cool content over there. We'll highly appreciate it. It's the price of a of four McNuggets a month, so it's three ninety nine. Thank you, Ed, for coming up with that analogy. But hopefully, we'll see a couple more patrons on board, and hopefully, we could build a very good relationship with you guys. Yes, bro. Now enough of the chit chat. Let's get down to it, bro. Let's get down to it. So obviously, the first game we're going to be covering this um, episode is Napoli three Inter one. Napoli already champions. Inter the Champions League final. They go head to head. Bam. The champions prevail. Milan 5, Sampdoria 1. It was a great opportunity for Milan to get some form before their game against Juve coming up this weekend. And they did exactly that. Giroud hat-trick, Milan 5, Sampdoria 1. Udinese nil, Lazio 1. Lazio doing absolutely everything they can to remain within that top four. Little favor here now with Juve being docked points, so they're a little bit safer. Now, speaking of Juve, after 20 minutes after they were docked the 10 points, they were fielded to play against Empoli. Demoralized, clearly, they lost the game 4-1. But what a performance by Empoli. Roma 2, Salernitana 2. A highly, highly competitive game over here. Some lovely football, two very, very different, stylistically different teams going head-to-head. Um, and yeah, it, it resulted in what I thought was quite a masterclass this week. 
Um, Atalanta 3, Hellas Verona 1, Verona remaining within that bottom 3 remit. Torino 1, Fiorentina 1, a very, very even game over there. Sassuolo 1, Monza 2, this team just keeps looking better and better and better. Monza. Cromonese 1, Bologna 5, the Orsolini show before he got sent off. And Lecce nil, Spezia nil in a mad relegation six-pointer. Bravo, bro. The first game's yours after all that. Yes. <laughs> let, me, let me have a, a sip of whatever it is that I'm drinking. A little bit of that fancy crystal, am I right? Oh, bro, you're disgusting. We need a drink sponsor, guys. I wonder how many, I wonder how many of our listeners just tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> bro, that's going to get us sponsors. You'll see. We need a drink sponsor. We're always drinking. Bro, I'm sure right now the last thing the fans want is like more sponsors. <laughs> more sponsors to shout it out our patreon come on you ain't the same guys <laughs> the fame is getting to you <laughs> napoli three inter one the previous encounter was napoli's first loss of the season right after the world cup it was inter one napoli nil now chucky lozano henrik mkhitaryan and milan Skriniar were sidelined with injuries carboni was also unavailable as he was participating in the under 20 world cup Inter also rotated their squad quite significantly between a Champions League semi-final win over Milan and an upcoming Coppa Italia final against Fiorentina. Napoli lined up in their 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal and the backline of Oliveira, Minjay, Rahmani and Di Lorenzo. That's Zielinski, Lobotka and Anguissa in the midfield with Gvaratskelia and Elmas playing wide of Victor Osimen. For Inter, it was the 3-5-2 formation with Onana in goal and the backline of D'Ambrosio, De Vrij and Bastoni. Bellanova played out on the right and Robin Gossens played out on the left with a midfield three of Barella, Aslani and Gagliardini. The strikers in this case were Correa and Lukaku. Now in the 41st minute, Roberto Gagliardini received his marching orders after a second yellow card for a sliding challenge on Anguissa, reducing Inter to 10 men. Gagliardini is on his way out of mm. Inter at the end of the season. And yeah, he gave them a little something to remember him by in this yeah, game. He left a bad taste in everyone's mouth over Literally. there. Literally. And it's not like he was a, a fan favorite. You know, at one point he had kind of that Kroenich reputation where yeah. he was dependable and deployable when you needed him. But towards the end, you know, um, people mm-hmm. just viewed him as dead weight and this will tarnish his reputation for exactly. with Inter. And being nil-nil and then going a man under in the 41st minute... Napoli smelt blood. 66th minute, Napoli took the lead through a stunner by Zambon Guissa, one of our goals of the week. He flicked the ball up with his with his right and sorry, he flicked the ball up with his left and fired a ball into the back of the net on the turn with his right. Um Onana did manage to get a hand to it, but the strike was far too powerful. It's funny, he tried it before in the game as well, and he hit yeah. the side netting. Yeah, it goes to show, right? Yeah. In the 77th minute, Denzel Dumfries had his header cleared off the line by Rahmani. On the resulting counter-attack, Napoli had the ball in the back of the net as Simeone tapped in Agvara cross, but Zielinski's efforts to regain the ball after tripping in the counter-attack was deemed a foul by the ref. Um, very strange, uh, he was running with the ball, the ball went kind of loose and was going mm. to the inter-defender and he slid in to, well, he fell into the path of the inter-defender but got the ball first. The ball fell to Gvara, he crossed it to Simeone who tapped in. I didn't think it was a foul. It was harsh, yeah, to, to call back the goal for that. Yes, I thought it was, it was very harsh. harsh. Yeah. But 
it was um uh, and then that this this could have changed things drastically as moments later five minutes later inter found an equalizer with one man down it was Romelu Lukaku, who tapped in at DeMarco Cross as Jesus was caught napping. DeMarco initially won the ball off Raspadori out wide and played a, da- played a dangerous ball in the middle. Um, uh, Vieri yeah, said, you, you saw what he said today. Watching DeMarco Cross makes him want to play football again. No, But, but then he gets off the sofa, <laughs> feel his knees hurt and he gives up. It's <laughs> basically me. <laughs> so that was 1-1. Great effort by Inter being down to 10 men and managing to get back into the game. Mm-hmm. However, moments later, Napoli regained the lead with a fantastic curling strike from outside the area by Giovanni Di Lorenzo um, into the top four corner, leaving Onana rooted to the spot. Reminded us a bit of Handanovic over there. Um, fantastic goal. And again, so quick after conceding a goal, mm-hmm. very good reaction by Napoli. Captain fantastic. Captain fantastic. Spalletti said you have some players in the locker room who give you a little bit more. Yeah. And Di Lorenzo is one of those. Guys, yeah, he's, you know, he's one of the unsung fantastic heroes. Fantastic leader, great guy, a great person. You know, it's just he gives you that more more than his footballing ability and his his work rate. There's that something special about. Yeah, him. absolutely. In the 94th minute, Napoli made sure of their three points as Gianluca Gaetano finished cleanly after linking up with Simeone. He looked good. Gaetano yes, when he, he came on, really sharp. he looked very good. Um, Napoli 3, Inter 1. What did you make of this game, brother? Um, it was a very good game. Completely ruined by Gagliardini, to yeah. be honest with you, because yeah. it could have gone either way. Um, and at the, at the end, I thought Inter managed to actually get a point out of it. And I was mm. impressed by their resilience. And I was impressed by how they, how they managed to contain Napoli and then hit them on the counter-attack with yeah. Di Marco just bursting down the, the wing and whipping it in for... For Lukaku, but um, and then of course Napoli demonstrated their resilience and their killer instinct in in just confirming the victory over here so late on. Yes, yeah. with, with with only a bit of time left, and I felt like Napoli thought it was all done and dusted when they got the red card because they had they had chances with Raspadori particularly where they were squandering them. They were they were overcomplicating things. It was almost like they were being a bit lackadaisical with their with yeah. their chances. And then the goal shocked them and suddenly they bang into, you know? Yeah, exactly. They're like, serious again, let's get serious. Uh I think Inter reacted very well after getting the the red card. They obviously um, ended up adapting into a more defensive formation and they reverted back to that low block that gave Milan so much trouble. Um, And then they were bursting on the brakes, like you said, really utilizing Mm. the wings, um, cutting in early and getting those balls in for, for Lukaku. Um, and they did a great job at that. They conceded, but they they were resilient. And in the 82nd minute, they managed to get an equalizer. But then it's a 90-minute game. And the pace that Napoli have so late on in the game is frightening, man. It, is. it, it really it is. is frightening. It is, bro. Um, and particularly their, their substitutions. Now, we've praised their squad depth before. But bringing on Raspador, Raspadori, Politano... Um, and Simeone off the bench. Those are, yeah. those are good players, you know, to bring on. Yeah. Even and Van Jesus to a certain level is okay. Yeah, and, and I felt like Raspadori and Simeone did a fantastic job at the end, putting so much pressure on that back three mm-hmm. of, of Inter. If you notice one of Inter's um when they whenever Inter are struggling, you notice that one of the key places they're struggling is the distribution from the defense. Mm-hmm. Um 
barring people like Bastoni, who are fantastic at that. And when Brozovic is on the pitch, he drops super deep to carry that ball out himself. Mm. They tend to struggle over there. And Napoli attacked that. And they were putting so much pressure on those defenders, especially after they went a man down. They really increased their tempo over there and they kept on putting more pressure on the defenders. Yeah, bro. Um, For me, the fact that Inzaghi started... Um, with Bellanova and Gossens actually worked out well for them because judging by how the game panned out because in the 41st minute they got um, the red card Mm. and that allowed them to actually make substitutions in the second half that actually increased their pace on the wings and they needed that to to remain in this game Um, the introductions of um, Denzel Dumfries and Federico De Marco really kept Inter alive here no, 100%. It was DeMarco's key work higher up the field mm-hmm. that ended up getting that equalizer. Um, but despite that, Inter came away with a loss. How much would this affect Inter, do you think? How badly would they have wanted that? Oh, man, I, I think they would have wanted this so they can just focus on the on their cup finals without thinking of, of anything else, you know? Mm. Um, but as it stands right now, they've got 66 points. Um Juve's points deduction will help them out, of course. Loads. They're going to be like, whew, thank God. Yeah. But um, Milan are lurking, Atalanta are lurking. You know, Roma are kind of relevant still because Inter have 66 points. Roma have 60. There's two games left. And then it depends mm. on direct encounter. I can't quite remember now. No, I can't what either. Their, what their direct encounters. But it's very much still alive. And Inter, Milan, Atalanta and Roma, any of these teams could finish top four. Yeah. I think so. I, I agree. I don't think it's it's too detrimental for them. Um, I don't... They, they still have tough games left. They have Atalanta um, this weekend. And I forgot their last game. Is Torino, against, was it? I think, uh, I think it's away to Torino. It it's is a, away, yes, to away to Torino. Away to Torino. Yeah. So they still have a couple of tough games left. So their minds are going to be a bit maybe elsewhere. But... Yeah, I think I think they can get it done. They're in a good position nonetheless. No, yeah, they're definitely favourites for top four um, out of those guys, out of the teams mentioned, simply because of their points advantage at this point. Yeah, I think so. And they just look much better than, than most of the teams that are competing there at the minute as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Napoli, obviously, first place, champions, 86 points, whilst Inter are in third on 66 points. Yes, nice to see Gagliardini once again adding fuel to the fire. That is Inzaghi's idea that if you're on a yellow card, you should be substituted <laughs> immediately, right? Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely proving his point, right? He probably went in and half time. I fucking told you. <laughs> That's why I take you out. Milan 5, Sampdoria 1. Uh, Milan have actually won their last four games against Sampdoria and Serie and have achieved more consecutive victories against them than in the past two decades. Yeah, Sampdoria keep breaking these records <laughs> all in the wrong way, though. Yeah. Milan had struggled in recent matches against teams in the bottom three of Serie A with no wins in their previous three encounters. Um, Sampdoria have accumulated fewer points this season than in any other season in their history. Um, we already mentioned that Stankovic is the worst coach of all time for Sampdoria yeah. statistically. Um, these obviously indicate the challenging campaign for, exactly. the, for the club. Milan lined up with Stefano Pioli's genius 4-2-3-1 formation with Mike Manian in goal, 
Theo Hernandez as the left back, Calabria as the right back, with Tomori and Malik Chao as the centre back duo. Tonali and Krunic played in the midfield double pivot. Of course, Benasser is still out injured. Leao was out on the left, Messias on the right, with Brahim Diaz playing in that Czech artista role with Giroud up front. Ravalia was in goal for Sampdoria under 4-1-4-1 formation with Zanoli on the right and Augello on the left with Bram, Nuitink and Gunter at the back. Rincon was the holding midfielder over there, very effective. Um, Leri was on the right, Gabbiadini was on the left again, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Juricic and Winks were playing behind Fabio Guagliarella. Now this this is a finished theme, all right? Yes. Now this lineup's next level finished right mm-hmm. there. Hey, he tried to do something... Um specifically for Milan. It yeah. worked really well. Yeah. He put um, Gabbiadini to contain Junior Messias. No, <laughs> I don't get Gabbiadini on the wing. I'm sorry. I don't I, I've either. never understood it. Um, Milan showcased their attacking intent from the start of this game. Um, they wanted that top four finish. They pushed for it. Of course, everything back then was up in the air. No one knew what was happening. Milan had to win this game. Um, and they were coming off that loss in the semi-final of the Champions League against Inter. Yeah. No. Um, and the loss to Spets. Yeah. And the loss to Spets yeah, as well. In the ninth minute, Milan took an early lead as Leao scored the opening goal after a crazy dribble and through ball by Ibrahim Diaz. If you watch the dribble, he literally trips the ball over the Sampdoria man takes it down and plays a perfectly weighted through ball to Leao, who finished coolly. I love when Leao finishes while falling. Yeah, it's, so yeah, cool. it's cool. Yeah. Um, from 80 yards, he scored. In the 20th minute, Fabio Quagliarella equalized for Sampdoria. Sampdoria um, gave Milan fans a taste of familiarity, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, that's it. Quagliarella's um, first fucking goal of the season exactly. obviously comes against Milan. And his 18th consecutive Serie A goal. Um, that's mad. 18 seasons in a row scoring. He almost he almost finished this season without scoring a goal, and he didn't even celebrate this goal. No. I think it's because of the fact that they've been relegated. He respects them too much to actually run around, you know, smiling because he hit a milestone when the club is in is in ruins. Um, yeah. Shout out to Alessandro Zanoli, the Napoli loney. He absolutely destroyed Theo Hernandez. Oh yeah, man. When, when I blink, him. I see Zanoli at the moment. <laughs> Now, in the 23rd minute, Giroud restored Milan's lead with a glancing header. He was assisted by um, Brahim Diaz, who crossed after a corner kick. It was a a short corner, and then Brahim crossed Giroud's header. In the 29th minute, um, Giroud scored a penalty after Leao was taken down by Gunter. The funny thing about this was on his way down, Leao smacked the back of Gunter's head carefully. (laughs) Go go and check that out. Very funny. Um, yeah, expertly taken by Giroud. He's so good at penalties. And yeah. then in the 63rd minute, Milan scored their fourth goal through Brahim Diaz. Leao provided a slide rule pass to Sandro Tonali, who pulled the ball back for Diaz to finish this demonstrated great football. We haven't seen this in a while from Milan. Yeah. It was good to see him. Multiple attacking threats from exactly. different areas, not one trick ponies. Up, yeah, players from the midfield running in, attacking, it's nice. Yeah. In the 68th minute, Giroud completed his hat-trick scoring from close range after winning a wrestling match with Bram Nuitink. <laughs> now, it had been a while since we'd seen Giroud out-muscle another centre-back and like, you know, bully a centre-back. Because at the end of the day, that's what you want from Giroud, not your target man. You want him to bully someone to the ground. Absolutely. Bram Nuitink, I think, is bigger. Than, than Giroud probably I think so His frame is larger as well I think he's stronger mm-hmm. I think he's definitely mm-hmm. stronger than Giroud But Giroud did well to, The way he placed himself yeah. up against him He had a good centre of gravity going into that duel 
He did, he did. Um, and he scored and completed his hat-trick. His first ever Milan hat-trick ending his goal drought. Now, this was a, this was a really good game by, by Milan. They exploited um, Sampdoria's defensive vulnerabilities, particularly in the wide areas. You know, yeah. of course, you saw Leao and um, Brahim running rampant over there. The... Um, striking movement was actually clinical. Now I think, look, everyone talks about how Milan need a new striker, and I agree, of course. Yeah. Um, however, it, a striker of a similar to- profile to Giroud might limit Milan. Now I'm saying this because Giroud is still deployable, mm-hmm. you know, and and you come up against these teams that play a low block, you put Giroud in there, he can find your solution. But the problem is when you're when you're up against the Napolis and the the Inters who who will attack you, um, you would need something different, no, a different type of number nine, someone who can stretch the lines, someone like Viktor Osimhen, someone like Dusan Vlaovic. Someone... I think there's something you don't know. What don't I know? Best in the world, his name is Firmino. <laughs> genuinely, Bobby, Bobby Firmino. Genuinely, in a in a false nine, Bobby Firmino. With um, Leao on the left and then maybe a replacement on the right-hand side for Milan might actually be a a breath of fresh air. Not saying that Firmino should be the starting number nine and that's what Milan should base Mm -hmm. their project on. Um, However, with his style of play being quite Karim Benzema, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There's a lot of kind of that that midfield to attack work. Smart Um, movement. Smart movement. And and Klopp just hails him as a very intelligent player. So he might be someone good for Milan to bring in to shake things up over there. He might be. And he's only 31 and he's free. Now, we were saying the same thing with Divock Orig, you know? So, (laughs) look how that worked out. But yes, um, there are quite a few profiles Milan are allegedly looking at. There's the likes of Arnautovic, um, Skamaka apparently is a hot name. Um, that keeps coming up. Milan have been linked mm. in the midfield to Seiko Fofana as well. I'm very Oof. excited. Um, yeah. I hope that does. I like the idea of, of Skamaka as like a, a direct replacement starter mm-hmm. for Giroud or even on a rotation basis yeah. because similar profile, very big, very strong. And then he, he has moments of explosion. Yeah. He's great in the air, but he's, he's the guy that can turn and shoot. At, at any point uh, around any yeah. around any area in the box. He's very direct and very dangerous. It does provide a, a new threat. That's yeah. true. Um, it would be nice to see Skamaka back in Italy. Yeah. Now, uh, Milan totally dominated the midfield. And of course, when you look at the likes of Tonali, Kroenic, Diaz, they're obviously going to destroy Winks, Juricic and Rincon. So not much to say <laughs> <laughs> over there. Um, but yes, um, Milan demonstrated that their squad depth is okay for this level, this level, yeah, but not for the level of Inter because it's crazy how Milan's bench options looked so good against Sampdoria, <laughs> exactly. and they're the exact same bench options that we were complaining about against Inter. Yeah, but yeah, the Catalare came on late yeah. on. Um, oh, seemed yes. to have quite a frustrating time once again. Um, I was thinking about the Catalare recently mm-hmm. because obviously there are two games left, and he he only has one assist. To his name this season after being bought for 35 million um, and obviously quite a bit of hype being generated around the signing of 35 million since Milan don't splash cash mm. um, I think one thing he needs to kind of think about is that not every move he makes needs to lead to a goal and assist it feels like he has so much pressure on him that every time he gets the ball is like okay how am I going to make it work 
rather than just being in the zone and flowing and trying to link up with his teammates, trying to set up a pre-assist assist by playing mm. someone into a dangerous area out wide rather than going for a direct ball. Yes, he tries to overcomplicate everything, man. I, I don't. He, he's either gonna pass back. Mm-hmm. Like not even sideways, just back or try something extravagant. Yeah, he hangs on to the ball yeah. a lot, man. I, I just think he needs that um, break. He needs a full preseason. He needs to get back into his groove. Um, I think the worst thing you can do with CDK right now is like blow him out or sell him. I think you need to yeah. keep him there. You need to show him that you believe in him and you need to give him another season. He's a 35 million euro man. He's a big investment for Milan. Give him a second season. We've seen how Leao and Tonali burst into the scene on their second season. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I heard that Atalanta are interested with a loan option to buy. Yeah, um, send them there if you want them to become a monster and stay literally, there forever. Literally, literally, literally. <laughs> um, especially after, you know, he has a very similar profile to Willy Yeah, yeah. And yeah, if yeah, Gasparini yeah. could turn him into that and send him back our way. Thank you, Mister. Elitrich <laughs> had absolutely no productivity mm. and was just, you know. But there might be. 2023 Elitrich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. There might be something interesting there with Rasmus Hoyland because obviously Milan mm. are quite interested yes. in That's him. another striker who can stretch the lines. Yeah. So Always running in behind. Th- there, could be, there could be something mm. of, of potential over there. I heard Milan are going to have around 100 million euros to spend, which for Milan yeah. standards is quite big. Yes, it, it is. Um, and Maldini hinted at the end of the Inter game that the squad is um, not competitive at this mm. at this level. And of course, yes, with the 50 million from Champions League qualification, the books balanced and everything looking good for Milan. Uh, financially, finally, after all these years, they can actually make some investments. They should make some investments. Absolutely. Man. Um, I, before we move on, Maldini um, made an interesting point after the game. He said, he mentioned specifically Dybala by name. Oh, yeah. He said, I didn't sign Dybala because the project is for, like, it's against the project. You know, we mm. we sign young players and we develop them. That's the idea mm-hmm. of our project over there. But why would he mention Dybala by name? Uh, I, I think... He must be getting criticism for it. Internally. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think the, the media would have been mainly saying, I should have gotten the ball and not the Ketelare. What the hell was Maldini mm. doing? And and I think that was Maldini's way of, of addressing it directly mm. and, and head on. Um, but it's I did stupid. find it a bit strange. It's stupid. Like, like, come on, you're going to say he doesn't fit our profile when you bought or when you brought in Origi, who's the exact same profile. I'm sorry. Yeah, He's an yeah. injury-prone player. It does. It makes less sense. Because, okay, granted, he's got titles and trophies he's a winner same like Dybala yeah but Dybala has done it in the league you know Dybala would have been a very smart signing and Milan have lacked a right winger for for ages so don't say it goes against the idea of the project when you've brought in the likes of Junior Messias Florenzi and Origi who are all of the same profile yeah that's true that's true I was originally seeing people uh, make the same argument as you and I disagreed but because they were mentioning examples like Ibrahimovic Giroud Mm. and Kier and the project is either by very old and get a coup over there mm. or buy very young and get a coup over there and get a future investment yeah. um but yeah like like you're saying there were a couple of players in their prime that were brought in on a free and i think the bala would have been a great opportunity for milan to give them that creativity um and just an upgrade from brahim diaz really yeah yeah definitely um milan currently sit in fourth with 64 points they are three points clear of atalanta in fifth while Sampdoria said dead last with 18 points um, done and dusted, they're off to the, uh, 
Um, apparently, the owner of Leeds United, was it, has expressed interest in acquiring Sampdoria. So we'll see. Hopefully, there is a future for the team. It's a team of great pedigree, a Serie A. Absolutely. Great, a team that's always meant to be in Serie A. So we really hope to have them back. And we really hope to have the Derby della Lanterna back between Sampdoria and Genoa. Next, not next season, the one after, the one after hopefully. hopefully. yeah. The next game we're going to be covering is Udinese Nil Lazio 1, another huge game for top four, especially after you've before you've aware docked the points. Uh, the previous encounter was a nil-nil draw between the two sides. Udinese had success, Delafeu, Ezibue, Ebosse, Pafundi, and Becao out for this game, whilst Lazio had Cataldi out of action, um, and Vecino had returned to the midfield for this game. Udinese starting a 3-4-1-1 formation with Silvestri in goal and the backline of Mazina, Bijol and Perez. Ladu Dodgi out on the left and Pereira out on the right with Lovric, Wallace and Arslan in the midfield and Samaridzic playing behind Beto. For Lazio it was their 4-3-3 formation, classic Sarri with Provedel in goal and the backline of Lazzari, Chazale, Romagnoli and Hisai. Milinkovic, Savic, Vecino and Luis Alberto formed the midfield three with Anderson, Immobile and Zaccagni playing up the field. In the 20th minute, Immobile's header was saved by Silvestri, tipping the ball over the bar. In the 38th minute, Alberto's strike flashed wide of Silvestri's goal. It was a very good chance over there. He was laid off quite nicely by Chiro Immobile. It's hilarious. I wrote Alberto's strike. Like, who the hell is Alberto? Alberto, dude. Albert of Genoa. Who <laughs> <laughs> Milan are apparently yeah. interested in, by the way. His name is Goodmanson, by the way. Yeah, in the 51st minute, Vecino's volley from distance went just wide, and in the 61st minute, Immobile won a penalty and converted it, sending the keeper the wrong way, giving Lazio a 1-0 lead, which they maintained till the end. Romagnoli hit the post um, from a header resulting from a corner in the 63rd minute, and in the 84th minute, Udinese thought they got an equaliser, but it was disallowed for offside. Lazio started the game off very disciplined. They seemed very conscious that losing points wasn't on the agenda for them, so they mm. took quite a defensive approach to this game. They managed to control the game, in the first half especially, and then Udinese seemed to get into the game quite a bit, probably because of that 3-5-1-1 formation that mm. often looked like a 3-6-1 formation. Samardzic yeah. was dropping in quite deep and, and Beto was staying up there, putting pressure on the defenders um there was a shift in pace so Denez seemed to start controlling the game and that's when Lazio started being more aggressive they turned up the heat they started drawing well Udinese started drawing a lot of fouls from from Lazio but Lazio increased the intensity and once the intensity was increased Udinese seemed like they couldn't keep up which is typically where you see Udinese really kind of get into a game when it starts to get a little bit more heated mm. but it goes to show just how experienced Lazio are in, in this situation, not exactly in the fight for top four, but the fact that they've been here before under Maurizio Sarri in similar situations. And they just had a formula that when a game got tough, they managed to not only overcome it, but get the three points. Yeah. Yes, bro. And they had a certain secret weapon in doing so as well, bringing in 35-year-old Pedro, who's a master of retention and keeping the flow going. Yeah. Um, it helped them a lot. And in fact, shortly after his introduction, the penalty was won and Immobile converted. But I did think that um, the game was quite even and Udinese actually gave them a, quite, a, quite a hard-fought battle. In fact, it did take a penalty to decide the yeah. The game here, but yeah, you see lots over here. That's sixty-one percent ball possession away from home. They kept a clean sheet. This is very unlike them. So, so respect to to turning around your fortune. 
Absolutely. I think you have to highlight the fact that despite Udinese giving them trouble, they seem like um, offensively there's a lot of work to be done for Udinese, which is funny when you look at the beginning of the season, their offensive output was great, mm-hmm. especially having De La Faux in the side, oh, yeah. getting all those assists. You had Pereira, who wasn't playing out wide, but being played closer to the striker. But they just seem like a way thinner squad than they originally were in the beginning of the season, um, for sure, funnily bro. enough. It's true. And and the like Beto, I, many people shout out Beto as like a potential candidate mm. to go to a top team, for example. I, I don't see Beto as ready, man. You I don't, don't think see, so? I, I think he's too streaky, man. He's too streaky. And, th- he, and if he's streaky at Udinese, man, you... Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. He sometimes looks amazing. Sometimes he can't even get involved in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't. I can't quite... I, I don't rate him as a as a top, top player yet to, to go to a top team. He's 25 years old. I mean, if he peaks late, he peaks late. But I think this is his level at the moment. Maybe a bit better, but not much better than Udinese. And you look at last season, he had quite a long drought without a goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. He had the often. same thing this season. Mm. So I, I think there's a lot of work to be done yeah. before he can bank on a massive move. The best he could do is be a vice for one of the yeah. top seven um, teams in the in the league. Fair enough, yes. Um, but when you look at, for example, the fact that Napoli's <coughs> vice is Simeone, who bags 20 goals for Verona, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's yeah. levels, you know? Um, but you respect the Beto anyway. He's a great mm-hmm. guy. He used to work at KFC back in the day. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> who? Beto. Beto he used, used to work, work at, at KFC? KFC. Yes, yes. Oh, for really? him, it's not a big deal. He said, it's normal. All my mm. friends worked at KFC. And he's, he's right, you know? When you're, when you're young, you work at fucking KFC. I worked yeah. at the Radisson fucking Golden Sands, opening deck chairs and carrying sunbeds yeah. and getting stung by wasps. Because... <laughs> <laughs> because my job was to go and spray the puddles of water because they were full of wasps and bees, by the way. That was yeah. part of my job. I, but the difference is that my salary hasn't improved that much. And Betos yeah. definitely has. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, once Gary Neville, when I used, I used to work at the Radisson as well, and once Gary Neville, uh, who was a stakeholder, I believe, at, at uh, the Radisson Gold. He had the timeshare scheme. He had the time. <laughs> <laughs> he used to come and stay quite a bit, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he used to have board meetings over there. He loves Malta. It's it's, it's known mm-hmm. that he loves Malta. Um, and once he came into the restaurant, I was still a shit server back mm-hmm. back then before I became a fucking beast at <laughs> catering. But I, my job was to keep the buffet full. So I, I was the guy that would replace shit. Mm-hmm. Something a, a robot can do. Um, and once there was a, a cockroach in, in one of the restaurants... And Gary Neville was in the restaurant and the manager came up to me. He's like, Matt, go kill that cockroach. I'm like, where is it? He's like, you know, Gary Neville's table. I'm like, ah, he's like, you see the blinds right behind Gary Neville's head. I'm like, ah, he's like, it's there. I'm like, <laughs> As in on the floor, what? He's like, no, it's on the blinds. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. So I had to go behind Gary Neville and just with tissues in my hand, trembling because I don't like cockroaches either. And I had to whack it. When I went to whack it, I got the cockroach, okay, and everything was fine. But then the blinds hit the glass and it made a massive noise. So Gary Nevelanta's entourage looked back at me and I just pretended like I was resting against the blinds. <laughs> and then, like, Damn, and this guy's unprofessional. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, everything okay? Can I, can I get you anything? <laughs> and they're like, uh, no, we're fine, thanks. So, so you killed it with, your, with the tissue I, in your I, hand? I killed it and I crushed it. And then when I got back and I let go, it was still moving. It oh, was disgusting. Okay. Yeah, and, and I, I had a bit of a panic attack, but, but that was fine. 
But moving on a little bit from that, this was uh, this penalty that Immobile scored was his 200th goal involvement in Serie A for Lazio. He has 162 goals scored and 38 assists. Lazio legend. Immobile. He is a Lazio legend, of course. Yes, definitely. And and he's really found a home in in Lazio. He jumped around a lot. We saw him at Borussia Dortmund. We saw him on loan at Sevilla, at Torino. Um, he he's sta- never scored more than 28 goals outside of Lazio. Like, like his best season was, uh, his best spell rather was at Pescara for one season where he scored 28 goals. That's when he burst onto the scene. That mm-hmm. was his best season. After that, he had five goals for Genoa, 22 goals for Torino, three goals for Dortmund, two goals for Sevilla, five goals for Torino. And who would have thought 162 goals for Lazio? Jesus Christ, man. Jesus yeah. Christ. It looked like he tried to get a spell out of Italy quite badly with the move to Dortmund, the move to Sevilla. Um, But his main success did come um, in the Italian league. You then see him outside the Italian league again when he plays for Italy. He struggles there as well. So this is a guy that's just a master, a master of Serie A. Mm -hmm. A master of Lazio. Exactly, exactly. But that's pretty much it for this game. I'll let you guys know where they are on the table. Lazio are in second place on 68 points. Who the fuck would have thought coming into the season yeah. that Lazio would be second? Yeah. Udinese in 12th on 46 points. Sorry, ball, baby. The next game we're going to be covering is Empoli 4, Juve 1. Ooh. Shocking. We already spoke about um, the likely reason as to why this result um, actually happened. Um, yeah. Juve being demoralized. The point of deduction coming out just 10 minutes before kickoff. Um, you've had the opportunity and the possibility to fight for their for their lives. And Allegri is usually very good at keeping everyone's heads cool, keeping everyone calm. But this was not the case as they looked completely discombobulated, yeah. frazzled, yeah. anything. Now... Empoli lined up with their 4-2-3-1 formation with Vicario and Gold Parisi as the left-back and Ebuehi as the right-back with Luperto and Ismaili as the centre-back duo. Bandinelli and Grassi formed midfield double pivot with Cambiaghi out on the left, Akpa Akpro out on the right, Fazzini playing as the Czech artist replacing Baldanzi who is currently away at the Under-20s World Cup destroying the talented Under-21s team of Brazil. There's, yeah. a, there's another Italian Under-20. What's his What's name, his name again, bro? bro? Cassidy Cassidy Cassidy, Cassidy. That's it's, pro- it's probably Cassidy Cassidy Cesare Cassidy He is owned by Chelsea And he currently plays for Reading In the second division He um, Or first division I guess Is what he'd call it in the UK Yeah the, I the think championship, so whatever. Uh, this, uh, The championship I believe Reading are in the championship At least I'm not sure This is Serie A spotlight Not fucking Bangers and mash spotlight <laughs> No <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, Cesare Casadei, keep your eyes on him, he's incredible Him and Baldanzi are just tearing it up at the Under-20s World Cup There's Parisi at the back as well, they are a very, very talented team And they made the Under-20s of Brazil look like proper children Where is the World Cup, the Under-20 World Cup? Maybe enough Maybe you go Maybe, I don't know man Probably in like America where is the other? Argent- uh-huh. Argentina. Argentina, yeah, bro. We go next week. <laughs> no. Um, Caputo was up front playing um, with Fazzini, Cambiaghi, and Akpak, bro, behind him. 
For you, that was a 3-5-2 formation with Wojciech Szczesny in goal, uh, Gatti, Bremer and Sandro were at the back, with Barbieri as the right wing back, Kostic as, as the left wing back, Rabio, Locatelli and Miretti in the middle, with Vlaovic and Milik up front together. You could see there was a, an intent to score here, there was an intent to play two target men. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, for injuries and suspensions, Fajoli, Pogba, Deshilio, Bonucci, Danilo, and Quadrado were all out. Marin, Valukovic, Valukovic, De Winter, and Baldanzi were all unavailable for Empoli, of course. Now, for the play by play, in the 12th minute, Milik smacked the crossbar with a header and Gatti scored the rebound, but it was called off for a foul. A solid start by Juve, who would have thought what was to come? Who would have expected what was to come? In the 18th minute, Empoli opened the scoring with a penalty converted by Francesco Caputo after Milik fouled Cambiaghi. Um, it was great to see the Caputo celebration once again this season. I love yeah. the, the beer drinking celebration. So that was the shock lead by Empoli. And then Three minutes later, Luperto scored from a tight angle after Szczesny made a stunning save on Akpa Akpro's attempt. So that was two goals, bang, in the first 20 minutes, and Juve were shell-shocked. In the 48th minute, Empoli extended their lead to a 3-0 victory with a delicate dink by Caputo over Szczesny. What, what a goal. goal. What a goal. That's another what a goal. goal of the week. Literally. They chipped the keeper, dude. And Szczesny <laughs> came out quite... Um, impulsively, I feel, over there. But he almost got it, you know, and... The, yeah. and What's his name? Caputo did. He finished it expertly. Yeah. Yeah. In the 90... No, in the 85th minute, sorry, I forgot you've actually scored one. Federico hmm. Chiesa scored a goal for Juventus. His first in Serie A in over 500 days. He smashed an angled drive under Guillermo Vicario. Very Chiesa goal. That's, yeah. You know the type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can imagine it like that. Yeah. Chiesa goal. Close your eyes. You see it. You, you're seeing it right now. <laughs> Um, in the 91st minute, Roberto Piccoli showed that he's not a good friend. Um, he, <laughs> he didn't pass the ball to Stajanovic, who was wide open and calling for it. And then he let him have it after. He was like, Stajanovic was, was screaming at Piccoli. Like, why wouldn't you square it, dude? You're, you're, you're 3-1 up. It's the 92nd minute. Your, your teammate is wide open. You've just scored your first goal of the season last week. Give it to Stajanovic. Yeah, why I agree, Just I give agree. it to him. How, how selfish are you? I guess um, for a striker, he needs to score goals. Yes, sure. I, I, I get what you mean. It's yeah. it's selfish, but Piccoli thought about himself there as a striker. Yeah. He thought, I'm going to score against Juve. <laughs> and then he proved that karma does not exist at all as um, Empoli sealed the victory in the 92nd minute with a goal from Roberto Piccoli after a one-handed save by Szczesny. Um, yeah. A good rebound goal over there for Piccoli. And he was very happy to have scored it. The cunt. Now, <laughs> um, yes, 10 points penalty we discussed. Um, Empoli secured... Yes, yeah, so but coming into this game, actually, Empoli had already secured their victory. We yes. mentioned this earlier on in the episode, but it's just so funny to think that Zanetti was expecting his team to get smashed because Juve had something to play for and they didn't in reality. Yeah. And he was worried that they were going to be too hungover for the game, essentially. But in reality, little did he know that his players were out there scoring and making beer drinking gestures, mm. you know? Yeah. Like, what a vibe. But, what but vibe. like, I think if you look at the beginning of the game, Juve were putting a lot of pressure on Empoli. Mm -hmm. um, and you'd see that Empoli were typically playing the ball back to the defense and starting the attack again by, by switching, mm -hmm. the, switching the play. Um, 
but it it was just so good to see the way Empoli handled that pressure that was being put on them, mm-hmm. particularly in the midfield, the way they were playing the ball around and playing it back to the defense and just having no problem with playing the ball back to restart the attack, just patient their players, the, the movement into space in the midfielders to create a passing opportunity for the defenders was beautiful to see. It shows that they are a unit and not a team of individuals. They were all working for each other. Like, the midfielders wanted the defenders to have options to pass it to. Mm. And all the other way around. So, Empoli have become this really, really intricate team. They've become really dependable and up against Juve for them to wipe the floor with Juve in the way they did, even with the fucking scandal and whatever. They did a fantastic job and take nothing away from them. Nothing at all. Yeah, bro, totally. Um, They are, as we said in the last episode, Mm. Venezia that one season in Serie A but good exactly yeah they're exactly exactly, the same manager it's Zanetti's style it's a system very attractive brand of football but Mm. this time it's actually working because of the personnel very talented team again Cambiari and and Baldanzi are just next level and even Paris they're they're, they're just two of 11 fantastic players man so many good players at Empoli Yes. They, they tend to have good players, I am. They, it's true, it's true, they do. Um, but this once again further highlights Juventus's defensive vulnerabilities, right? Um, it's weird, man. They had that those nine games in a row earlier this season where they didn't concede a single goal, man. Yeah. And and you look at now, granted, defenders were out this game. Bonucci, Danilo, Quadrado, whatever. Danilo's probably the biggest loss of the lot, but... I'm sorry, Alexandro, who's just automatically been renewed, is not to standard. No. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be starting. He shouldn't no. even be on the squad. Like, no. Why is he playing? I, I don't get it. Why has he been renewed? And now they're renewing well. Quadrado as well. So they're, they're renewing this deadweight. I, I don't know what's, what's going on over here. Respect to Quadrado, of course, a very good player in his day, but he's obviously past it, you know? Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's time for Juve to create this kind of clean slate. Mm-hmm. Especially when you see what the players were were involved in, in, in one of the scandals, um, and and you see what do you mean with when when there was COVID that they were all ah, accepting ah, ah, they were all accepting yes. well Ill- illegal payments. Well, I don't think they had much of a choice. I think it was literally Kellini coming in and saying, "Listen, yeah, the board are going to pay us. We're not telling anyone." Yeah, I know, but it doesn't it doesn't matter because that image of Juve has been tainted by that squad. It's been tainted by that management. It's been tainted by those owners. So a new slate for Juve would A, help their brand and B, they need it because they have a bunch of good young players which they should keep on to. They look at Quadrado and Sandro. That's dead weight that they need to get rid of, bro. Mm-hmm. They, they need to get rid of that and invest in younger players. Yeah. Sure. Players like Gatti. Yeah, of course. No, the new generation is is looking good, at least. They have that to mm-hmm. be positive about. I, I anticipate that if they don't make Champions League, which it's looking quite unlikely that they do make Champions League, um, they will have to sell some players because mm-hmm. they're not going to get of the course. funding from Champions League. They're going through this scandal. Maybe a transfer ban will, will come about. Um but I'm already seeing talks about a lot of teams looking for strikers. Mm-hmm. 
Vlaovic is one of the hottest names in the market of right course, now. Everyone's yeah. talking about Dusan Vlaovic. Even and, Milan fans are talking about and Dusan Vlaovic. And don't be fooled by these performances. We know he's a beast. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, he was an animal at Fiorentino and, and, and he played differently. He had more freedom up there. Mm-hmm. He had more support players playing off his shoulders. He was, yeah. he was great. Man. And I genuinely think that Milik has, more, had, has had more success then, with Juve this yeah, season than Vlaovic. Of course, of course. Yeah, um, Empoli showcased a solid defensive unit, to be honest. They were they were um, organized. Juve were weak offensively, Empoli were strong defensively, and of course it resulted in this catastrophe, bro. Um, not much else to say. Empoli safe, Juve in trouble. <laughs> Juve currently sit in 7th with 59 points, while Empoli are in 14th with 42 points. The next game we're going to be covering was a very, very competitive game of football between Roma and Salernitana that ended in a 2-2 draw. The previous encounter was a 1-0 away victory for Roma. The injured players for Roma in this game were Paolo Dybala, Rick Karsdorp and Marash Kumbulla, whilst the missing player for Salernitana in this game was Federico Fazio Buhu. <laughs> Roma fielded... A... He's an ex, he would have scored. Oh, that's true. Roma fielded a 3-4-2-1 formation with Patricio on goal and the backline of Ibanez, Smalling and Bove, that El Sharawi as the left wing-back with Zalewski as the right wing-back and Tahirovic and Kamara playing in the middle. Wijnaldum and Solbakken played behind Belotti. For Salernitana, it was also a 3-4-2-1 formation with Guillermo Ochoa on goal in the backline of Danilovic, Gyomber and Pirola. Castanos was out on the right, while his brother was out on the left with Koulibaly and Bohinen in the middle, and Kandreev and Dia playing off the shoulders of Piontek. In the 12th minute, Salernitana took the lead as Koulibaly put Kandreva clean through on goal with a long ball from his own half, and the veteran Italian did extremely well to catch the ball on the volley with the outside of his extended foot, guiding the ball into the top corner. Absolute magic, this was one of our goals of the week. Amazing man, amazing goal. And Kandreva, man, keeps pulling them out, scoring in crazy ways, right? Yeah, we're, we're always talking about how what, what fans we are of Saponara. Yeah. Um, I think Kandreva would be an equivalent, except he was at Inter. So. I think Kandreva, though, is the antithesis of Saponara. He's, he's all work rate and power, while Saponara is all... Cool and finesse, you know, it's that true, like composure true. and finesse. But they're both, they're both old magicians, yeah. you know what I mean? But in, in different, like, you'll never see Saponara ten, attempting a cross and it ends up in the back of the net. If Saponara is crossing, it's gonna, yeah, he's, it's gonna be a perfect cross, you know. Kandreva is just like spam, he's he's quantity, Saponara's quality, you exactly. Know? That's true, yeah. that's true. Um, in additional time of the first half, Ibanez thought he brought one back for Rome after some confusion in the box from a corner kick, but VAR indicated that Bellotti handled the ball in the midst of the confusion. Now, between the header and between the ball hitting Bellotti's hand, the space between the head and the arm was very, very tight. So it did seem a bit harsh. I don't think it would have been given in the Champions League or in the Premier League. Um, and in fact, that's what I told you, bro. When it mm. happened, I'm like, no, it's too, it's too short distance. Yeah, yeah. But the the referee gave um, ca- cancelled the goal. I guess maybe things are a bit different in Serie A than they are on, on other stages in the world. In the f- um, in half time, Roma made some key substitutions. Uh, Lorente, Pellegrini, and Matic entered the field, replacing Solbach and Ibanez and Tahirovic, respectively, and that did make a massive difference to the game. In fact, in the 51st minute, Roma equalized as El Sharawi rebounded Pellegrini's free kick into the back of the net. 
Pellegrini's strike was initially saved by Ochoa, who parried the ball into the path of the Egyptian goal scorer. Perhaps he could have caught it. Yeah. Now, this is the thing when you have a very acrobatic goalkeeper and not a traditional goalkeeper. He tends to do this where he tries to fist yeah. the ball away rather than catch it. This time, it didn't go to plan. It's probably the first time he made a bit of an error. Um, still harsh to call it an error. Because he's a cat-like goalkeeper. Exactly. He's not the type to, to grab it, right? He's going to parry. It's true. It's true. And, and that, that doesn't age as well. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that was the, the equalizer for Roma. Two players that, that came on substituted um, team, teamed up to get this goal. However, three minutes later, Salernitana regained the lead through... Bulaye motherfucking dia. Bulaye dia. He backheeled the ball into the back of the net after a deflected Piontek square ball. This initial counter-attack came to life after Kandreva's long ball to the Polish man. Um, thank you to our DJ, Jay. <laughs> his, his timing is impeccable. He's fantastic. Um, not a great piece of... Um, what's the word? I'm really losing my words today. Um, improvisation by Bulaedia. The ball yeah. seemed to be played behind him. He seemed a bit off balance. Yeah. He did fantastically to improvise and, and backheel the ball into the back of the yeah. net. Also, that tiny crowd of Salernitana away fans. You could hear them overpowering the Roma fans singing Dia's song. Yeah. Man, oh man, do I, do I love Salernitana at, at the minute. In the 83rd minute, speaking of minutes, Roma found the equalizer once again, this time through another substituted player, Nemanja Matic, who hammered the ball into the back of the net after it fell kindly to him, following a corner kick. Now, again, time and time again, it has been Roma's set pieces, oh, yeah. season after season. When they have a game like this, they can rely on their set mm -hmm. pieces. I think Saler and Etana were doing a fantastic job with these direct counter-attacks. Roma were playing wide. They emphasized utilizing like the width of the pitch mm. when going forward. And Salernitana were very compact defensively. And then they would just go straight down through the middle. They go for a very, very direct and swift counter-attack. And that's where Roma were getting caught out. But to have something at your arsenal like these set pieces oh, is yeah. incredibly important. We look at the, the Euro 2020 with Italy. The, the, the famous 247 free kick fucking routines that, yeah. that they had. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is how Roma have been scoring their goals for a while now. Mm. Um, if they can't get it through open play, they'll get it through a header from a set. Yeah. Or a rebound, a scrappy rebound. Yeah. They've been doing it all season and last season as well. Mm. You do look at the, um, the wing backs mm -hmm. of Roma. And that space behind the wing backs was where Salernitana were really targeting. That mm. space that was left between there. We've often criticized the gap between defense and midfield for um, Roma. And in this case, it was more kind of obvious down the left and down mm. the right. With El Sharawi being a natural winger and with Zalewski being a more attacking option rather than a defensive and, and option. And young and naive. They, yeah. they toyed with him a bit this game. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brotherich was he seemed more on it than than Zalewski. Um, and and it's funny because Brotherich is twenty three years old, you know, he's, he's two years older than than Zalewski, but he seemed to be more street smart than Zalewski this game. Mm. 
and how good was it to see just Salernitana going for it in this game? Like very, very yeah. confident in their counterattacks. They were committing 100%. They weren't just playing defensive and hoping to get one point. They were really, really confident and going for it. They believed they could beat this Roma team. Man, I really, really think they believe that. That's true. They... I, I think yes, bro, because they attacked them from, from the get-go. They scored early in the first half and then early in the second half. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were thinking maybe we can we can contain this victory. Um, I certainly think that they, they didn't plan on losing yeah. and they fucking, they managed to. Yeah, I think so, man. Good, good result for them, great result for them and a very frustrating one for Roma. Yeah, I also wanted to make a point about um, what Mourinho said after the game. Now, I know we already spoke about the whole Juve thing, so on and so forth. Um, but Mourinho went on an entire rant about it after this game. And he basically said, Jesus fucking Christ, I could have committed more to getting Europe through through the league. I, I could have, yeah. you know, you, you look at this game full of rotation. I know they've got their injuries, but Pellegrini didn't start the game. Matic didn't start the game and Tahirovic and Kamara started mm. as, as a result of that with Wijnaldum as a left winger and Solbakken as a right winger. Um, so his argument is that had he known that, yeah, of he would have put a, a lot more, but, but then maybe he, he would have suffered in the Europa League. So I yes, do find it's, it's a true. bit of a salty statement, but I like how he spoke about Juve saying it's unfair that it's happening to this group of individual players who are all professionals and he yes. really spoke highly of them. Of course, because the players have nothing to do with it. Exactly. Well, the capital gains case. Yeah. The, the, the salary maneuvers, they had everything to do. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Because they fucking bought, they, they spent 80 million yes. on Ronaldo. Like, so. Dude, hashtag free the Shilio. <laughs> hashtag free the Shilio. Can, can yeah. we get that trending, guys? Please, come on. Hashtag, hashtag free the Shilio. He's really ambidextrous. We need him to be saved. <laughs> he really is ambidextrous. <laughs> Milan used to, well, even you would play him on the left, play him on the right. He's very two-footed. because of his um, in, immense tactical discipline, bro. <laughs> the next Maldini, they used to call him back in My the God, my, come on. Roma sit in 6th on 60 points, just to paint the picture, Atalanta are in 5th on 61 and Milan are in 4th on 64. Um, however, and then Juventus are in 7th on 59, so they're a bit sandwiched. Could we potentially see Roma in the Europa League next season if they fail to win the, sorry, in the, in the Conference League, if they fail to win the Europa League final and they drop points and Juve capitalise on that? We might see them very, very possible back, very, back there again. Very possible. Salernitana, 15th on 39 points, absolutely safe from relegation. Before Jake speaks about the next game, I just want to make a point that today, through the simple click of a button, I almost deleted our entire episode. We were going to have to start over because I, <laughs> yeah. I hit command Z on this and Fuck it deleted him. absolutely everything you should have seen the panic and then, and then the redo prompt wasn't working like the the, the combination on my keyboard but he, stayed calm stayed stoic do you know do you know how he solved it guys this troubleshooting mastermind over here next to me google <laughs> how to redo on mac on audacity <laughs> <laughs> but that's what didn't work <laughs> That's because it was telling me command something and that wasn't yeah. working. Oh, but edit redo works at oh, the top yeah. toolbar. Oh, yeah. We've just saved someone's day somewhere. <laughs> the next game we're going to be covering is Atalanta 3, 
Verona won. Now, Atalanta have significantly improved their record against Hellas Verona since Gasperini became the manager. They won 7 out of 10 matches. Hellas Verona had achieved two consecutive away victories against Atalanta, matching their total number of away wins in the previous 20 encounters. And Atalanta had suffered two consecutive defeats without scoring, which hadn't happened to them since 2014. When Gasperini joined, when Verona didn't, weren't a feeder club and they had oh, yeah. uh, Caprari, Illich and, and all those guys. Of course, that plays a massive Simeone. part. In it. It's true. It's not, just, it's not just Gasperini. Well, Gasperini's been around forever, to be honest. He was around for those days as well. He is a gnome. He is a... <laughs> 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 he looks so much like a garden gnome. Don't tell me Gasperini doesn't look like a garden gnome. Um, is, is it um, politically incorrect to say gnome? No, no you, you've got it mixed up with something else which okay. is politically incorrect. Okay, Lest <laughs> we move on. <laughs> Atalanta fielded their 3 4 2 1 formation with Sportiello on goal. Dream City, Scalvini and Toloi at the back with Zappa Costa on the left, Mele out on the right, Derun and Coop Miners in the middle with Muriel, Pasalic and Hoyland playing as the trident up front. I know the new GTA came out already. GTA Gym City. <laughs> wow. Wow, dude. Fucking next up a comedy podcast. Huh? <laughs> Verona, on the other hand, lined up with their 3-4-2-1 formation with Montepo in goal, Ceccherini at the back, Hien and Cabal, all at the back together, don't ask. Terragciano was on the right, no, not the goalkeeper. De Paoli was on the left, Tameze and Sulemana were in the middle. Ngonj and Lazovic played behind the big, big boy, Juric. Yes, sir. Budget Zlatan. Verona took the lead in the 11th minute with a goal from Darko Lazovic, but Atalanta responded strongly, equalizing in the 22nd minute through Davide Zappacosta's powerful strike from outside the area. Mario Pasalic put Atalanta ahead in the 53rd minute after a mistake from Verona goalkeeper Lorenzo Montepo. He was dispossessed over there and Pasalic just passed into the back of the net. Rasmus Hoyland sealed the victory for Atalanta with a goal in the 62nd minute, also from out of the box. Atalanta had quite a few injuries this game but managed to get the job done. They had Zapata, Hatteberg, Ruggeri, Palomino, Sopi, Bog out due to injuries, while Verona on the other hand had Lasagna, Duda, Henri, Davidovic and Hrustic. They had a Lasagna, Duda. They had a Lasagna, Duda. <laughs> yes. Um, the Curva Nord was closed this game, by the way, um, because of racist chants directed at Dusan Vlaovic in the previous game. So very that's good. nice to see that there very was a bit good. of action. Very good. Finally. Lots to be done uh, still. Verona now um, have suffered their second consecutive defeat, bro. Um, they're, they're, they're risking it. Huh? And now they play Empoli next and then they have Milan away at the last game of the season. Fatal Verona. So yes. I think it's... Verona have upset teams on the last day, particularly Milan, Google, Fatal Verona. You can read about it. It's, it's quite upsetting. Napoli. Napoli as well. Uh, when they got two studies, they kicked them out of the Champions League um, spot in top four. Um, now they stand one point below Spezia, who are in 17th, Verona are in 18th, so things are getting a little yes. bit dangerous Spezia for them. Spezia don't have it easy either, as they face Torino at home and then Roma away on the last game yeah. of the season. So it's going to be a crazy ending, guys. Um, one thing that I would like to say is how Atalanta, man, with their 
in Maltese we say been naked naked. Mm. So so just like <laughs> against all odds, slowly, slowly, like taking no under the radar, they managed to fucking be relevant at this point in the season for the top four spot, bro. Yeah. Like they they've got 61 points in fifth after you have been docked their points, right? Milan have 64 points in fourth. That means Atalanta one all it takes is Milan not beating. Verona or and not beating um, Juve. Yeah, yeah, you know, and Atalanta win their games. Boom, they're top four. Yeah, they they can they can still do it. Um, they, they have a six pointer against Inter mm. coming up, which is going which is going to be huge for mm. them if they manage to get three points over there. Um, Inter stay on sixty six and they go up to sixty four. All of a sudden, bro, it gets very very tight, yeah. very tight. But their hopes would be that Milan drop points. Of course. Inter is a bit unattainable at the moment. Of course, bro. Um, I really liked the diamond that um, Atalanta fielded over here in um, Muriel, Hoyland, Pasalic, and Coop Miners or Darun. They, they mm. kind of played um, with a diamond shape and mm. they moved the ball around very smoothly. Hoyland does this thing where he can just run and stretch the pitch as far as it goes, really pushing that defensive line. And people just play him through, you know, mm-hmm. like long balls over the top. Um, so it's it's good to see what Atalanta are doing. They're they're a very good team, um, and yeah, they might get rewarded for it. Yeah, I, I think as well uh, if they get Europa League this this for next season, they have a good chance to do stuff over there, man. Mm-hmm. Atalanta, they they have a they're a very street smart team. They have a good manager. Sure, the last two seasons haven't have, haven't been as fruitful as the ones before, but they have some money now, and they could they could potentially prepare themselves well for for Europe. Yeah, and they have a tight little squad huh, with their with their depth as well. Like you know, they brought on Demiral, Lukman, and Ederson off the bench, all very good. Okoli was brought on off the bench as well, a very talented youngster. Mm. They have lots of players, and these players are all used to playing frequently because of Gasparini's rotation system. Uh-huh. Um, so, yes, yeah, a very good project, a very good footballing academy, Atalanta, um, one of the greatest academies in Italy. Um, Absolutely. Possi- possibly in the world as well, most most probably in the world. Um as to where they stand, of course, we've discussed this. Atalanta are in fifth with 61 points, while Verona are in 18th with 30 points. Atalanta were just too much for Verona to handle. Yeah. The next game we're going to be covering is Torino 1, Fiorentina 1. The previous encounter was a 2-1 victory for Fiorentina. Torino had Nemanja Radonjic uh, out due to injury, whereas Fiorentina had Bonaventura suspended. They had Sofian Amrabat and Nico Gonzalez that were rested for this game. Obviously, sandwiched between a European fixture and between the Coppa Italia final that is coming up tomorrow. Probably when you're listening to this, it would be today. Mm-hmm. Torino or yesterday. Up, or yesterday. <laughs> Torino last year. Torino lined up in their 3-4-2-1 formation with Vanya and Gold on the backline of Bonjour, Noshores and Gigi. Rodriguez was out on the left with Singo out on the right and the double pivot of Illich and Ritchie. Very nice double pivot they have mm, over there. Lovely, Illich, Illich and, and Ritchie. Ritchie. Wow. Two young, very young, clever signings they made in the past two windows. Whilst Karamo and Vlasic played behind Tony Sanabria. Fiorentina lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Cero Follini in goal on the backline of Venuti, Martinez, uh, Igor and Terzic. 
They had Mandragor and Duncan in the middle, with Saponar out on the right, Sotil out on the left, and Barak playing behind Kwame, who started up front, obviously. In the 12th minute, Vlasic's long-ranged attempt hit the side netting. It looked like it was flying into the top corner, very close by him. And then coming out for the second half, um, Fiorentina introduced Luka Jovic, who scored after three minutes in the 48th minute. It was a close, a close-ranged header into the bottom right corner after a good run and cross by Christian Kwame. Fiorentina take the lead, making it 1-0 away from home. However, then in the 65th, Torino managed to find their equaliser as Alessandro Bongiorno played a low cross to Tony Sanabria, who finished extremely well on the first touch into the bottom far corner to make it 1-1, and they both share a point apiece. Instantly, going in to talk about how we've been saying that Torino need a striker, while Sanabria each and every week has been telling us to go fuck ourselves. Exactly, 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 dude. He's 27 years old, the man from fucking Paraguay, dude. He is proving to be quite deployable. Sanabria, uh, reliable. Quite an elite goal scorer to get 12 goals for Torino. 12 goals and 3 assists and 26 starts. That's pretty good. Um, we've been going on about how Torino need a striker, and it is true. They do need a striker still, but they've got they've got a good player over here, you know, Sanabria, who, who does explode every season, but this season more than before, I, I think, at least statistically. Yeah, 100%. And even the way, looks, the, the way he inserts himself, he's getting more intelligent. He's... You know, getting used to getting used to offensive movements. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that you guys probably know is that Torino and Fiorentina was a massive game for this race to eighth that is currently going on at the moment. Monza are in eighth place on fifty-two, whilst Bologna, Torino, and Fiorentina all share fifty points, two points behind Monza. Um, I do think, however, in this case, that both sides were happy to take a draw. Quite, quite frankly, yeah, um, it won't I, be too bad. I didn't see much urgency coming from each side. I think Fiorentina also wanted to, they didn't want to go in for the 50-50s. They rested a couple of players. They don't want any injuries going ahead, um, especially with a European Cup final coming mm. up. So yeah. I think they played it quite safe over there. And I think Torino were, were happy with that. We've seen what Fiorentina are capable of doing and Torino would have been glad that that wasn't the Fiorentina that yeah, they're facing, the Fiorentina definitely. at 100%. Yes, and they also demonstrated their depth, huh? Fiorentina. They, mm-hmm. they still feel a decent squad. Like to have Kwame playing up front, resting Jovic and the likes of Cabral, for example. Mm. You know, playing Saponara as well. We all know they have 100 wingers. Um, Terzic and Venuti were okay. Mandragora, Duncan were good in the midfield. You know, deployable team, a good team. Yeah, no, 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 100%. Mm. Very good and compact team. It seems like Italiano has managed to find a very, very group, a very good group of players who are capable of mm. playing his system, Italiano's system. It's a very compact system. Um, it didn't allow Torino too many opportunities. Um, I know Ricardo Rodriguez was, happy, was having a couple of attempts and a couple of crosses from distance. Um, they, had, they had that chance through Vlasic with a long-range strike. Otherwise, and then it was that early ball into the box that Tony Sanabria finished off. Other than that, they didn't have many chances, Torino, bro. Yeah, no, no, barely any. It's true. Um, but thankfully, their, their Paraguayan gem up front sorted them out. Exactly. Man, you know, I didn't know he was from Paraguay. Really? I had no idea. 
Not many people from Paraguay. Like, name another footballer from Paraguay. Go. I know one. I know one. I know one. Gustavo Gomez. Gustavo Gomez. Boom, That's the one. That's one. I signed him on FM with Empoli. Oh, bro. That was quite a, a quite a good little. He's coup, killing man. it in Brazil. Killing mm. it. He's become like a like a libero back in the day. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Playing behind the defense, almost pinging balls forward. He's a captain, lifting trophies. He's yeah. He's become a legend. Um, Bully says hi to all of you that are listening. Um, but that's pretty much it for this game. I don't think there's too much to go into over here. Torino sit in 10th on 50 points. So if you're in Tino, in 11th on 50 points as well. Oh, yeah. The next game we are going to be covering is Sassuolo 1 to Monza. Why now, did you say it like oh that? Oh my God, I channeled my inner mint off. I'm not <laughs> talking about some uh, Sassuolo. I'm wearing a Sassuolo kit as we speak. Um, those who follow our Patreon will be aware of that. <laughs> we've posted a video. Um, Sassuolo 1, Monza 2. Sorry, there we yeah, go. Bravo. Now, Sassuolo had an unbeaten record against Monza across Serie A, Serie B and the Coppa Italia with a win and a draw in their previous encounters. Um, Sassuolo had been undefeated in their last eight matches against newly promoted teams in Serie A, but of course Monza are no ordinary newly promoted team. They're a newly promoted team with money. <laughs> now, Monza and Sassuolo had earned the same number of points in their second round of Serie A matches this season, with only five teams having more points during that period. So they're actually two of the top sides since the return of Serie A post-World Cup. Yeah. Sassuolo, 4-3-3. Conciliating goal, Rogerio as the left-back, Tolian as the right-back, Juan Tresoldi, and Erlich at the back. <laughs> <sighs> Henrique, Lopez and Fratesi as the midfield three with Bayrami and Berardi out wide and Pinamonti up front. Juan Tresoldi. <laughs> Monza, 3-4-2-1 formation. Di Gregorio in goal, recently linked with Nottingham Forest. Our, our father came up to him and was like, apparently, our father's a Nottingham Forest fan. He's like, apparently, um, Forest won the keeper of Monza. And we're like... What which one? or Di Gregorio. See, the one who has a bit of a beard. We're like, oh my god, he's amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's probably thinking like these guys think everyone from say is amazing. <laughs> no, <laughs> but they 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 had two great keepers this this year first, and they were both on loan. They yeah. had Henderson, Henderson and Navas. It's so Mari and Calderola were at the back for Monza with Churi out on the right, Augusto on the left, Pessina and Sensi in the middle. Now that's a sweet double pivot. My God. Caprari and Mota played behind the big, big Petania. Yes. Who did I see recently? And I was like, you're telling we me that's know, not We don't Petania. know his name, but there was this guy on the TV who... You said his name. It wasn't anyone we knew. No. I thought you said his name and then... Who was it? I don't, I don't remember. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it was some fat guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> With big lips. <laughs> no. Love, love Petania. Love Petania so much. In the 51st minute, Domenico Berardi converted a penalty, giving Sassuolo a 1-0 lead. In the 60th minute, Churia equalized for Monza with a well-worked goal that saw him inserting himself in the attacking position in an attacking position very well as Shuri often does and actually scoring in the 68th minute Ruan Tresoldi <laughs> right Ruan Tresoldi man he's fucking honestly he's having a mare this guy he's he having is, an absolute is, nightmare is. I don't want to shit on him too much this is a theme with Sassuola defenders that they're not reliable they just they're, keep passing the they, baton oh to the next shit God, one dude, this guy lost the ball he tried he tried to dribble 
instantly dispossessed, panicked. He's like, no way am I going to make a mistake that leads to a goal. Went for the slide tackle to win the ball and he was already on a yellow card. Got a second yellow and he's off, reducing Sassuolo to 10 men. And of course, Monza, you know, switched gear, of course, and they're like, all right, these guys are down to 10. We're going to kill them. Like, And in the 93rd minute, um, Samuel Vignato actually played Pessina through brilliantly and Pessina scored. And the scenes were... Immaculate. But yes, um, Monza proving that um, tactically, they know how to get it done. This guy, Raffaele Paladino, no no wonder he's being linked to Juventus, man. He's a good manager, huh? playing this game very, very intelligently, approaching it cautiously. Suddenly, Juan Tresoldi gets sent off and they're, they're in the game. Um, and how were they in the game? And they just switched up gear and actually got a... A late winner over there. So, very good. Um, Sassuolo, on the other hand, approached the game more aggressively from the get-go. When they were pressing high, they tried to disrupt Monza's build-up play. Monza were just resilient. They were patient. They waited. Um, In the second half, they made a few substitutions over here. Monza that really changed the game as well for them. They brought on Marlon, um, Rovella and Birindelli. Three good substitutions. After these substitutions were made, simply six minutes later, they scored. Mm. So there's that. Then the red card in the 68th minute. So so in eight minutes, the game changed completely. Mm -hmm. And then the 92nd, of course, (laughs) the guy who had just come on, Samuel Vignato, actually plays um, Pessina through, who scores. Mm-hmm. The winner. No, oh, lovely, lovely stuff. Very good in game management mm-hmm. by by Palladino. Um, the squad seems to like him. They they seem to love mm-hmm. him, and and he seems to treat them well in that sense. Um, he has a lovely group of players. You look at this team, incredible talent all around. The likes of Caprari, Sensi, Pessina, Churia, Carlos Augusto, Itzo, Di Gregorio. Everyone. Everyone's fantastic. Um, and and again, we're really seeing this team transform into. They're peaking at the mm. moment, Monza. Yeah, yeah. And it's good that they they find themselves in eighth place, which is fucking crazy. I think that that's mm. the best I can remember a, a newly promoted team doing. Oof. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and it's good that they're relishing this battle to eighth so much and that they're outdoing teams like Bologna, teams like Fiorentina, teams like Udinese, teams like Torino, who have been yeah. there and have been doing exactly that for seasons and seasons and seasons. In Monza, instantly, out of the top seven, they're the best team. Yeah, definitely. Are they not like? It's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. They're, they're super. And honestly, I can't remember the last time they lost. Like, off the top of my head. Off the top they, of my head, no. I mean, I just opened their previous fixtures to see when the last time was. Win-win, draw away to Torino, draw at home to Roma, win away to Spezia, win at home to Fiorentina. Give me a break, guys. Give me a break. They're they're, they're the shit. They're trouble. They're the real cheese. They are the real cheese, man. They are. And they currently sit in eighth with 52 points, while Sassuolo sit in 13th with 44 points. Those who remember the days of Sassuolo's promotion to Serie A will know that they were similar to Monza back in the day, but a greater underdog because they didn't have the the financial injection. Mm. Um, they had, uh, what was his name again? Took Roma to the semi-final, bro. Di Francesco. Yes. Di Francesco was the manager that season and he actually got them to an Europa League spot and they played in Europe, Sassuolo. Exactly. So, so Monza still have um, to outdo that legacy. But that yeah. was the last time, I think, a newly promoted team got Europe. Oh, they were newly promoted as well. Yes, it's I fucking, believe so. 
fucking crazy, man. Mm-hmm. Um, they they did they did better than than Monza then. Yeah, I think I'm I'm not sure, bro. Don't quote me. I don't know if it was the season they got promoted or the season after they got promoted. Ah, okay. But I believe it was when they got promoted. No, don't don't quote me. Okay. The next game we're going to be covering, the, pe- the penultimate game we're going to be covering is Cremonese 1, Bologna 5. Uh, so another spanking in this in this oh, match yeah. day. This is what sent Cremonese down to Serie B, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it, it, it's... Uh, they, they threw them. They kicked mm. them they kicked back them. into Serie they, B. This is Sparta them down like, to Serie B. Literally that, though. They just mm. fucking cunted them. Down to Serie B, a real massive reality check there for Cremonese, who unfortunately, despite their efforts, are a couple of steps behind where they need to be mm. to be a solid Serie A team. I feel like if they brought in Ballardini earlier, they would have they would have had a better chance. Mm. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, it's funny when you're Serie B and then you got promoted to Serie A and Serie B, you have such a different approach because you're fighting to win and you're making changes to go all the way and you're used to winning and then in Serie A you have to make changes to survive not mm-hmm. to take you like to the to the next winning it's level true. kind of it's thing true. so it's always interesting to see how they approach situations like that you see Salernitana last season um and Genoa last season they changed their manager three times mm-hmm. I believe yeah 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 so Salernitana for sure even Genoa yeah, yeah, even yeah, Genoa that's Shevchenko yeah now I forgot about that with a fever dream <laughs> Before the game, um, Cremonese handed a 50,000 euro check to Bologna sporting director Claudio Fenucci for the flood victims in Emilia-Romagna. And then that was followed by a one-minute silence around all of Serie A. Obviously, we've seen the footage of what's happening in Emilia-Romagna and it's petrifying. It's, it's, it's super scary. It's something out of the, the 2012 movie that came out in 2011, I don't know why I'm <laughs> going into so much detail about the movie. Um, no, I mean, it's I... frightening. People are dying. The, the the streets are collapsing. Trees and houses are are collapsing. It's it's dreadful. It's nice to see Cremonese forking out 50k and and giving it to Bologna to to help them aid that. It, yeah, it's what they could have used the 50k to get. Striker, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they could have they could have paid their players. It's it's a yeah. very nice gesture, and and I'd like to see more of this in yeah. football. Um, also, if anyone's listening who has family or friends or whatever, or or live in Emilia Romagna, our thoughts are with you, and and we hope you guys can overcome this. Um, Cremonese had Cyril Dessers out, and he is out for the entirety of the season, whilst Bologna had Soriano, Kiriakopoulos, and Sao Mauro missing this match. Cremonese lined up in their 4-2-3-1 formation that did really, really well. Um, Karnasecki in goal and the backline of Valeri, Vasquez, Kirikes and Saint Nicola and the double pivot of Meite and Castagnetti. That Okereke out on the left, Piquel out on the right with Galdames playing behind Saju. You listen to the first episode where we're pronouncing these names and mm. one of the final episodes where we're pronouncing these names. We've come a long way, bro. We bro. We bro, we, bro. we have, bro. Um, I don't know what it is about these relegation sides playing random people on the wing. Hey, oh, man. Like, now that they're relegated, hey. fuck it. Pickel on the wing. Literally. Gabbiadini on the wing. Literally. But they, they, they weren't even relegated here, man. I know, not yet. Um, yeah. Bologna, 4-2-3-1. Same formation with Skorupski in goal and the back line of Stefan Posh, Bonifazi, Lukumi Fakimi and Cambiaso. A shouting and Dominguez in the middle with Orsolini out on the right. 
who literally did everything in, in this game. Um, Barrow on the left and Ferguson playing behind Arnautovic. Okay, so in the 14th minute, Bologna opened the scoring. Uh, Musa Barrow unleashed a powerful in-swinging cross to the far post, which was headed in well by Mark Arnautovic. That was a shot, in my opinion. Huh? It was. <laughs> I think it was a shot cross. Yeah, one of genuinely. those. Um, it's, but, but I wouldn't be surprised if Barrow went for yeah. goal. It's very, it's very yeah, Musa yeah, Barrow yeah. to go for goal from there. In the 27th minute, Bologna extended their lead with a goal from a corner kick. Ricardo Orsolini delivered a powerful dipping corner, one of the best corners I've ever seen in my life. It bounced <laughs> off the leg of Ferguson, bounced off the defender, falling kindly back to Ferguson, who slotted in. Now, before I write these goal descriptions and before I watch the highlights, I read articles on the game um, so that I could get additional information than just watching the highlights, especially if I missed the game in the first place. And... Every article I was reading said the same thing. A sensational corner by mm. Ricardo Orsolini. A magnificent mm. corner by Orsolini. The perfect corner by Orsolini. I'm like, what the fuck was this fucking corner for it to be sensational, magnificent, and perfect? Yeah, like, who the like, fuck describes a corner as magnificent or sensational? Like, right? how can, yeah. unless it goes in, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's yeah. like, if it's a, a good corner, like, like, like Shalanoglu corner. Yeah. Or, or like Luka Modric assisting Sergio Ramos in, in a Champions League final against Atletico in the last minute. That could be a sensational corner. But a sensational corner, Bologna against Krum. Bro, I watched the corner. Or Solini's on corner duties now. Yeah. And the way he takes these corners is just full of power. And it just dips onto the penalty area. Yeah, yeah, it just dips perfectly onto the penalty spot. And whoever's there, all they need to do is guide it goalwards. And they don't even need to generate power because all the power is in the corner. Beautiful corners. And I remember <laughs> I burst out laughing yeah, 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 after yeah. seeing the corner. I was telling Jake, I was like, how can a corner be magnificent? Yeah. And then we <laughs> we clicked play, the yeah. corner went in, and both just at the same time went, oh! <laughs> <laughs> the perfect corner. <laughs> it was an amazing corner by Orsolini. <laughs> and then the 29th minute, two minutes later, um, Orsolini got a yellow card for descent. Um, and then the 46th minute, Orsolini took another perfect corner, this time headed in by Stefan Posh. Um, Karnesecki anticipated this um, corner coming in. He went out to intercept it by punching the mm -hmm. ball away. Missed it because of the <laughs> fucking sheer power that was on this yeah. corner. And then he just had to tap it in with, with a header, Stefan Posh. So amazing, amazing by Orsolini. Yeah. What a coup to have to take corners. Yeah, he's really good. In the 61st minute, there was a strong appeal from Cremonese players for a handball in, a, in the penalty box. Over VAR said nothing doing at this point. Cremonese are dreaming. And then a minute later, Bologna scored again. They continued their dominant display with another clinical finish. This time by Riccardo Orsolini, who beat the offside trap after a counter-attacking through ball by Moro before rounding Carnesecchi and finishing from a tight angle. It is now 4-0 for Bologna. And then in the 73rd minute, just 11 minutes later, Orsolini received his second yellow card and his subsequent dismissal from the pitch from referee Paolo Valeri. The Italian lunged into a challenge whilst dribbling as the ball went slightly astray. He went to win it through a sliding tackle and he got all the man over there. So he literally did everything there is to do in the game yeah, yeah. In, this, in this match. But poof, what, a, what a performance. If you go on who scored, he's got every symbol of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Or it needs is the clean sheet one. <laughs> or error you go. go. Like Karnasekke has yeah. over there on a four, exactly. four point six. Um, in the 80th minute, Musa Barrow had time and space to play a precise pass to Nicola Sanson inside the box, who finished brilliantly into the far corner. Nothing the keeper could do. And in the 91st minute, Cremonese found a consolation goal as Chofani unleashed a volley from inside the area and into the back of the net. Whoo! Okay. Orsolini, let's let's talk because he's had a great season. He was mm-hmm. the best Italian player in the world this season, in my opinion. I think Zaccani was very good this year. Um but yes, Rossellini's definitely been one of the one of the best ones. And mm. it's nice to see him play well f- across a full season. Because usually he appears in the second half of the season or he dips. Um and it's nice to see that his output has remained consistent as well, because he's a very explosive player. And the fact that he's actually getting numbers, goals, and assists, and his set pieces are fucking so good. They can rule. Of course, we discussed it. But uh, he's got many elements to his game that could make him a very useful player. Mm-hmm. And um, who would have thought that in 2023, Orsolini would be more highly rated than Nicola Zaniolo, for example? Ah, literally, yeah. man, literally. You, you look at him, um, like Zaccani plays a bit closer to goal, mm-hmm. in, yes. my, in, in, in my opinion. Um, and the work that Orsolini does, like he he plays out wider. It seems like mm-hmm. in a four three three with uh, for for Lazio and Zaccagni plays a bit closer mm-hmm. to the striker. It's true. Closer but in a to four the box. two exactly in a four two three one formation, Orsolini is typically tasked with looking after that wing a little bit mm-hmm. more and cutting in for that Tira Gira or a, or a, we often or a cross. We often see him charging from the halfway line, for example. Yeah, exactly. He drives well, and and the way just that. When he has a bit of space, the way he starts dribbling around players when mm-hmm. he's confident is, is just so entertaining, man. And genuinely, I, I have a bit of a crush on Orsolini mm-hmm. at the moment. He's been so good this year. Milan need a right winger. I think they should go for Orsolini, bro. Honestly, it might be better than um, Albert from, <laughs> from Genoa. But yeah, um, no, I mean, Thiago Motta has everyone playing amazingly. Yeah. He's got he's got Ferguson looking amazing. He's got Barrow back to his best as well. You know, um, Shouten always looks good. Stefan Posh has been incredible. Like these guys are thriving under Thiago Motta. So, mm. so good on them. Um, I would like to see Orsolini have another season at Bologna, though, to be honest with you. I think it would be cool. Mm. I, I mean, the more seasons you can get under your belt before joining my favorite team, get them yeah. so, so that you won't Problems disappoint. The price, me. though, right? That's everything between 20 million uh, and 40 yeah. million. Uh, uh-huh. Fucking 60 million. If you're Italian, then, yeah. then it's 40 million. You if you're an Italian in Italy. Italy. Yes. Um, by the way, here it says he has one assist. He has two because one yeah. of them hit Ferguson, then hit the defender, of and course. then Ferguson got yeah. it back. Uh-huh. So he had two assists this game. Um, so yes, I, I I can't highlight this guy enough. He's had a fantastic season, and this game was all him. It, mm-hmm. it literally was all Orsolini. Um, I'm saying it's all Orsolini, but then you look on the left hand side, Musa Barrow. Um, let let me change this instead of highlighting Orsolini and Barrow so much. I'm going to say Bologna really utilized their wings well. They did, yes. They have their final four players in Orsolini, Ferguson, Barrow and Arnautovic that are super dangerous together. Mm-hmm. You see them all contributing in this game. Orsolini with a, with two assists and a goal. Ferguson with a goal, Arnautovic with a goal and Barrow with two assists. The firepower they have over here is great. I think they identified the problem with Cremonese, which is their aerial duels. They're yeah. not great at that. And they just 
flooded them with these dangerous crosses and boy did they have the players to deliver them yeah bro and did they have the the guy in the box to fucking pounce on them as well they were aiming them at Arnautovic which is a great target man yeah no 100% we said that they looked better without him but then yeah. when he's back you say okay you can whip the ball and you can guy, exactly, yeah. exactly or shoot apparently <laughs> shoot and he'll head it in yeah but yeah, um, that sent Cremonese spiraling down to Serie B. It's been great to have Cremonese with us, but unfortunately, not quite good enough. They got their first victory, what, a couple of weeks ago. Um, 19th place, 24 points. Nowhere they can go, whereas Bologna are in ninth on 50 points. And I can't wait to see Bologna a full season with Thiago Motta next year. Yeah, same. European push, huh, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll the next game we're going to be covering was the most disappointing game of the weekend. The game we hyped up. We're like, Lecce, Spezia. It's going to be fucking sold out. It's fucking crazy relegation six-pointer, man. Who who wins, survives. Only the strong survive. You know, we're like fucking writing freestyles about this fucking game. <laughs> I like gassing it up. Little did we know, dude. There was going to be the classic Italian biscotto. Literally. Where... You know, um, let's share the spoils. We've got three games left. Let's take a draw here. I mean, Spezia were more than... Ha- no, sorry, Lecce were more than happy to take the draw here. In fact, they came out with a bit of a defensive approach. Spezia tried a little bit harder, but um, could not penetrate. Did not have enough quality to no. actually penetrate the Lecce defense. This was, in general, a game that displayed... Uh, it left a lot to be desired, quality-wise. 100%, man. Lecce lined up with their 4-3-3 formation. Marco Baroni's men. Falcone was in goal. Gallo on the left. Jean-Dre on the right. Umtiti and Bascarotta as a centre-back duo. This might be a new world record, bro, for back four. Like the same back four, week in, week out. No matter if they play like twice a week, three times a week. It's the same back four. Yeah, they had so many defensive woes at the start of the season. So many injuries, so on and so forth. But they really found their four and they stuck with them, man. True. Udon, Blin, and Gonzalez were in the middle. Hulman, of course, was out injured. They definitely missed him over there. He's a fantastic player. Um, Di Francesco was out on the left. Strefetz out on the right. And Colombo started this one up front. For Spezia, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Dragovski in goal. Visnevsky, Ampadu, and Nicola were at the back. With Jazzy playing as the right wing back. Reka playing as the left wing back. Egdal, Esposito, and Burabia were in the middle. Masi Esposito is growing into quite the player. Inzola and Shomorodov were playing up front. Now... Um, of course, apart from Hulman, they also had Castriot Dermaco out injured. Um, Lecce Spezia had Amian and Caldara, Daniel Maldini, Sala, Holm, João Moutin, um, and Zofko. Zofko, sub- no! Goalkeeper out injured. I hope he's not too hurt. Oh man, I don't remember his game against Atalanta. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> um, this was Lecce's 600th match in Serie A, marking a significant milestone for the club. So, wow. applause, Lecce. Guess how many shots on target this game had? What, like two? Yeah, bad yes. one. <laughs> <laughs> two, two shots on target throughout the entire game. And Zola and Shomorodov had chances for Spezia, but their shots went wide or were blocked by the Lecce defense. Strefetsa and Cisse had attempts for Lecce, but they were unable to find the back of the net. Um, the tension and nervousness, though, was evident, bro. And both teams fought to 
secure points for survival. And they fought scrappily. You know, it was just losing the ball, winning it back, losing the ball, winning it back. It was one of those midfield, I told you, man. midfield scraps. While you were getting all hyped for it, I told you, this is probably going to be a nil-nil. These games typically tend to be nil-nils. Yeah, they tend to be, but not, not at this stage of see, the season. But you not see, at this stage. Uh, but maybe typically not at the stage of the season. But you see that Verona were up against Atalanta. On the other hand, and these guys would be like, whoa, listen, yeah, they're probably going to lose. A draw would do us both a fucking solid like. Of course, yeah. But it might bite them in the ass later because they could have won this game. I mean, yes. Either yeah. team could have won this game, but yeah. Um, I mean, there's nothing even to say about this game. Falcone made a crucial save on a dull shot, potentially yes. saving Lecce from, from defeat. Uh, that was that was probably the best the best moment um, of the game. Falcone's save. Um, yeah, I mean, it was clear from the get-go that Lecce fucking sat back and allowed Spezia to, to kind of attack them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they, they were the biscotto instigators, Lecce, definitely. Absolutely. Um, Spezia, in fact, were more aggressive. They pressed Lecce, they created scoring opportunity. They seemed to have more pace and um, were able to earn corners in the early stages of the game, for example. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think Lecce took more of a depressive. Uh, <laughs> I think Lecce took more of a defensive approach slightly earlier on the season. I think yeah. if you look five match days ago, we saw like okay, like we need to secure as many points as possible. They took mm-hmm. a more defensive approach and they stopped taking risks. Not that they were massive risk takers before. They've always been a a tight knit unit, mm-hmm. very defensive, so on and so forth. But they just instigated that a lot more than before. Yeah, totally, bro. Um, that's it. I'm just going to tell you where they are in the league because honestly, there was nothing to talk about. This guy. Honestly, I feel sorry for whoever took my advice and watched this game. <laughs> Spezia are in 17th with 31 points. Lecce are in 16th with 33 points. That's not looking good for Verona. No, it's not. It's not looking good for Verona at all. They have... 30 points, um, Spezia have 31 points, Lecce have 33 points, um, Verona have Empoli at home and Milan away remaining, Lecce have Monza away and Bologna home, Spezia have Torino home and Roma away, dude. So I think Lecce have the most favourable run-in over here and they are the team with the most points. So that probably explains their Biscotto approach. You know? They looked at Spezia and they said, these guys have Torino and Roma left. Verona have Empoli and Milan. Um, we don't really have a, bit, a Milan or a Roma to worry about. Granted, there's Monza mm. and Bologna who are not teams that you'd you'd ideally want to face. But no. at the end of the day, they're not really pushing for anything. You know, Monza mm. and Bologna, they're not going to be trying to kill you till the end. While Roma and Milan, on the other hand, will be trying to kill these guys. The, it's it's about who gets the one point, man. It's about who's yeah. capable of getting one point out of these fixtures. Because mm-hmm. I think Empoli is the most favorable fixture. Now, granted, they've just so. destroyed Juve, but even the coach said, Zanetti, like these guys have been celebrating. You know, they've exactly. been partying. Exactly. But yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. It's going to be a crazy ending, guys. What a weekend we have coming up. Um, we look forward to watching it and coming back here to, to discuss it um, for you guys. Completely and absolutely. Um, I think I mentioned um, I might go watch Milan's last game of the season. Very pumped about that. I found two friends that were interested in joining me. If not, I was going alone, 100%. Because um, Mr. McJake isn't joining me. Because he's 
Paying off a house. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, bro, one day you'll grow up and you'll buy a house and you'll be broke too. I mean, I'm looking. <laughs> but I think before before I make myself broke, I'll watch what might be Pioli's last game in charge of me. Stop Milan. it, bro. Stop it, man. I'm going to be there, bro. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Thank um, you. Shoot lots of content. Yes. I, I need this, man. I need a bit of San Siro. Mm, I've been down. I didn't go this season. And it it was, I I missed it like you know uh-huh. like last year we went twice I went at the beginning and I went at the end, um, I had gone to the first game, um, away, away to, to Genoa to Sampdoria, Sampdoria away to Sampdoria when Brahim Diaz scored the under Audero exactly and then the penultimate game against uh, Atalanta. Atalanta Theos coast to coast that, that was, was the best day of my game. life man. Yeah. The best day of my life. 90% of it was a bunch of anxiety. Yeah. But that 10% of sheer joy, ecstasy it was, man. Yeah. Nothing quite like this. Man. Um, thank you for listening. Taco on Twitter. Um, our boy Taco. Um, we tried to stretch this one out. We tried to get it to the <laughs> to the two hour mark. We're at one hour and fifty-four minutes. Um, the mm. plan here was to hit the two hour mark and to start chanting, We Ta- love you, Taco. We do. <laughs> Taco tweeted us that our episodes have got a bit shorter and that it's um it's it's upsetting. But I, Taco I Taco is calling us sellouts. That's what, that's what he's like. Ah, you have Taco, your Patreon. Taco is an OG. He is. He's an OG. Say a spotlight listener. We love you. We appreciate you. But sometimes the episodes will be shorter. Yes, it very much depends on the talking um, points, exactly. the stage of the season. Exactly. Like at the moment, talking about Napoli, we can't spend too much yeah. time talking about a team that's already won the league or teams that have already been relegated. But don't worry. At, at the end of yeah. the season, we'll have a 2022-2023 season rundown. Yeah. And believe me, they're that, like four hours long. Th- those are like four hours long. Yeah. <laughs> whilst we're not gonna promise four hours. The last one took took us three separate recording sessions to record of those. Literally, days. bro, we got drunk three times in a row. Recording yeah. <laughs> I was a mess. <laughs> It was crazy, man. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We have been your hosts, Jake. And Matt. And this has been Say a Spotlight. Remember to follow us. And if you would like to support us, you can find us on um, Patreon. Our link is in our link tree in our bio on Instagram or social media or wherever. Love you. Bye-bye. See you next week.